Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hey, August 1st, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Really interesting clip that we've used so many times and interesting how it continually becomes more and more relevant in often different ways as this whole thing continues to develop. When I first played that the very first time, I didn't even really grasp what it was really getting into. I just thought it was interesting that you're talking about internal manipulation, Forbes, showing Pfizer dealing with these things, and it just keeps continually giving. You know, and this is where we're at today. This is exactly the technology that they're talking about. And what he's saying in that is only just now becoming where they're aiming at, but it's real-time research technology in order to not just have to create something rapidly in 100 days, which is the stage they're at now, which is just incredible. We'll get to that later in the show without safety testing, mind you, you know, because it's been done already on the platform a long time ago, which is not even true. But ultimately, that the next step will be to do this internally. And that's not my opinion, guys. That's publicly discussed. They, They want to end up ultimately being able to do something to you genetically to where you can then maybe be primed out outwardly, but have your body produce what's necessary. And it's it's incredibly alarming. That may sound good to people if there was all an altruistic entity out there that you know wouldn't manipulate you, but I think we understand that's not the reality today. But that clip is interesting today because we're also going to touch on something that we've talked about more than once. Edible vaccines in, in, in plants, in, in food, or the mRNA in, in meat that we're talking about. It's really interesting to think about that there's, a, there's an abstract, you know, a lot of ways you could look at what that clip is talking about, but one of which we're discussing right now is turning other things into drug factories. That's a kind of an interim step, I would argue, into your body included. But that's what this one part is today in regard to plants and being edible vaccines and you know all these different discussions we're going to get into around that. And that overlaps with a few different things. A couple more points on the meat conversation that more so apply to agriculture and the illusion of the climate change narrative and what they're trying to do and how that overlaps with depopulation, which is something I don't talk about a lot, but it's never something I've ever dismissed. And we've talked about it a few times, and I'll get into a a point at the end about that today. And then as well as a a point about the, I believe, uh, forget if I took it out or not today, I took a few sections out, but if even whether I get to it or not, it overlaps with the conversation of the flying vaccinators and, you know, the 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 discussion, which is not new, by the way, but is popping back up again, as so many things tend to do in the way information flows today, the. Uh, the, the time that somebody was vaccinated with a mosquito that was in 2022, that's not new information. We talked about that on this show. But the last couple of days, it's being posted on Twitter as breaking news, and it's kind of gotten this resurgence, which is good. But I often wonder if it really is or not. And I don't mean it in the sense that information's always good if it continues to get out. And I'll make a point about this to start. But it's, I always am suspicious about the way information flows and whether or not it's a release valve kind of discussion where it's only being put out now, now that certain steps have already been made. And, and I, always, I think it's at least 
it's important that we at least ask that question, whether or not this is something that is being seeded through certain platforms and certain individuals so it gets perceived a certain way. That's one way. You know, the whole analogy of, let's say, Alex Jones says it there, so therefore certain people will assume it's fake. doesn't mean it's fake. He said plenty of things that are true. But that's how that game is played. And then I forget where I was going with that. Anyway, the point is that ultimately that this is something that I think we should be on guard for. And I, well, you'll see what I mean more as we get into a couple starting points. But we're going to talk about COVID-19, a little section in here again, just about, you know, all the things that we all should know that have been proven 100,000 times over, but are still important to keep pointing at. We're going to talk about uh, some censorship a little bit, but we're going to focus early in the show about Niger. And what's going on there, it's really not that difficult to suss this one out, but we'll still go into this and show you what we're seeing and my take on the, the situation. And I've reached out to a few people. We might have a couple more interviews coming forward. But as it develops, I believe it's going to become more important. I really think the Niger situation is kind of a writing on the wall for where this shifting power structure or uh, globally, the power structures are going. And I don't mean globalization. I mean the way that we see a counter, like a pushback against that from the populations of these countries. We'll get into that in a minute. I want to focus on Brooke Jackson and show you just a briefly what we just talked about in our interview uh, day before yesterday, which was important. It really was. And then we're going to talk about something interesting we've talked about many times, uh, which is collapsing athletes. And I think, again, it's I, you guys tell me how many times have we talked about this in 2021, like the early in 2021, talking about the reality using peer-reviewed science to prove to you, even at that time, the amount of people, not even then arguing we knew all of them were vaccinated, because I've never made that argument. Seems likely, but whether or not the amount of people that have been collapsing, specifically athletes, it's exponentially more than what we're supposed to be seeing. That should be pretty damn clear, but people are hiding from it. So we're going to yet again go through this topic that, uh, interestingly enough, is having a resurgence. And I'm like, and on YouTube of all places, videos with half a million views. Interesting. Suddenly, that point I was just making, now it's allowed to be talked about. Why is that? Interesting, right? But let's start with. Something that actually I just saw before we went live. So I kind of shuffled a few things around. I just saw this. Chief Nerd just posted this. And again, I haven't had even a minute to dive into this. It was like right before I was going live. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, assuming what he posted here is true, you guys should look into it for yourself in regard to the actual counts. But I have seen the post and all the corporate media. President Trump has been apparently officially charged with uh, by the Department of Justice with four federal counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. Which, of course, I think is the main point in there. Probably, if I can suss this out correctly without getting into it, which I probably will in future shows, in regard to the claim that they say he's responsible for January 6th and that he's responsible for anything anywhere that people say the election was stolen, which it's just not true. Of course, he feels the same way and he said that. But you just can't keep laying a mob action on things that he said when he didn't really say go in and do the things they did. In fact, he's on the record many times saying don't be violent and don't do this. But of course, they don't look at those things. Now, I'm no fan of Donald Trump or any politician for that matter. I think they're all quite honestly manipulators. But the truth matters, doesn't it? Even people that I think are against you, I will point out when I think they're being misrepresented because the truth always matters. But in this case, I do think this is to a large degree politically motivated. But I don't think it's entirely unjustified for any of these people. And that doesn't sit well with the people that are on one side or the other, or maybe it does for those on certain sides. But ultimately, I just think it's interesting how this gets played. And then I'm going to play you a clip right out of, right next about with, of something Bill Barr just said. I just think it's interesting to start on. But the counts of conspiracy to defraud the United States, 
And it says, by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to obstruct the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results. Yes, exactly. Obstruction of count two, an attempt to obstruct and impede the certification of the vote. So both counts so far are in regard to the election. Count three, yep. And it's a conspiracy to impede the January 6th congressional proceeding. That's interesting, actually. So impede the proceeding. January 6th congressional proceeding, which, which the collective results of the presidential election were counted and certified. Oh, never mind. Okay, so they are just talking about on the date of January 6th, what happened. I, was, I wasn't sure if they were actually talking about the, something January 6th related in afterward in congressional investigation, but no, I was incorrect just reading that. A conspiracy against the right to vote and have that vote counted. What? Really? A broad conspiracy against the right to vote? <laughs> I mean, you know what? To be honest, this feels like it's meant to not actually happen, and that would mean that probably would sit with what I would expect to happen. That this is not really about holding Trump accountable. It's about keeping things mired in conversation about this. We'll see. I know I know everybody on certain sides believe that Trump is the, the hero because obviously they're always going after him. But I, I just don't believe that personally. But I also think if nothing ultimately happens, that will sell, tell us a lot. But we'll have to wait and see. But overall, I think it's obvious, whatever side you're on, that this is politically motivated. I think we have to be real about that. And maybe you think that's justified. Maybe you think you have to do that. Sort of like the way that they openly wrote articles about how they, what I think the way that Steve put it this morning is, is fortified the election. <laughs> All these private in- industries and, and, high, and titans of industry and billionaires like wrote, I think it was in The Economist, about how they secretly fortified the election for Biden. <laughs> We're not supposed to read that as you guys literally manipulated the election. It's just hilarious. But the point is it's good because they did it because Trump bad. Like very kindergarten level mindset, but that might be, you know, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Let's put it that way. But I I just don't think this should be placed in the two-party paradigm. If you're seeing it through that lens, you're going to get manipulated. Now, uh, Justin Hart put this out about Bill Barr just said. Now, I'll I'll read what I said afterward. Let's play the clip first. Bill Barr just said this in an interview, and it's pretty negative against Trump. But at the same time, making it clear that he does think this is politically motivated. You know, this is this is not a circumstance where he's the victim or this is government overreach. Uh, I would actually disagree with that right out of the gate. I think this is absolutely government overreach for many different reasons. But that still doesn't mean that I think Trump is innocent, if if you put it that way. I think all these people, you know, if you really stay to the letter of the law, which nobody ever does with these people or for most people who aren't average people on the street. You know, you could argue that they did things that they weren't supposed to while he was in power with his family, but so did the Clintons and so did the Bidens, right? But you have to be fair. If you think they're breaking the rules, the law, then I would just simply say I don't think this person is completely – there's things you could hold him accountable for. But then you have to be fair and say so should the rest of them, right? But that's, I think, the point he's making. He provoked this whole problem himself. Yes, he's been the victim of unfair witch hunts in the past. But that doesn't obviate the fact that he's also a fundamentally flawed person who engages in reckless conduct. And I agree. that leads to situations, calamitous situations like this, uh, which are very destructive and hurt any political cause he's associated with. And this, Which we're hearing from a lot of people in that kind of political side. Right. That, that, you know, that maybe that's why DeSantis kind of had a surge and maybe still does, because, you know, Trump, as much as Trump is kind of the scene as the outlier, he's pretty even within the party. His actions are very self-centered, egotistical for the most part. I've said that from the very beginning. All you really got to do is just like any other circumstance, like with Tate, for example, you know, is just actually go back and look at what he was saying. Or maybe in this case, actually read Trump's books and realize, 
while he's pretty damn clear about who he is and what he lies about, you can pretty much prove that he's not, I mean, whether he's actually a Republican or actually a Christian, like read the books he wrote. You can hear him in his own words. It's all politics, guys. But, you know, people always want a hero. This was a case that entirely of his own making. Do you believe if he is convicted, he should serve his prison sentence? Well, I don't, we haven't even gotten to the point of, you know, whether he's been convicted and also what, what his happens? sentence should be. I, I, you know, I don't like the idea of a former president serving time in prison. That is so telling. That is so interesting that he says that. I mean, because that, that's not really an unpopular opinion. Pretty much everybody in power, because ultimately, I think that shows you the real face of this, the two-party illusion. I mean, they all, they have divides, and there's plenty of people in these positions on both sides that don't like each other or maybe believe in certain parts of the two-party illusion that aren't that informed. But the idea, we've heard this a lot. I think Bolton said something similar. People on both sides have generally made the point that, well, you know, it's not a good look to have a president go to prison or that it sets a bad precedent. Well, what are you talking about? Did they break the law or not? What it does show you is that this, whether they want to address it directly or not, is a very commonly understood thing. That if you're president, I think as Nixon said, if I do it, it's not illegal, right? That's how they see this. And they make these kind of, that's why even before Trump, it was pretty, it was, I think, entirely unprecedented for previous out or rather new presidents to investigate the previous president because then they know, well, then the next party is going to do it to me. Well, that, that thing's out, that cat's out of the bag. But it's interesting to know that they generally have that opinion, that they are above the law, or at least they see their actions as above the law because they're acting as the president. It just says so much, and it's not about left or right. You say Trump's alleged conduct is indefensible. So many Republicans continue to defend him. What will it say if the party, your longtime party, puts him forward as their nominee? Well, that's the problem. I don't think they're actually defending his conduct, but they are saying it's unfair to prosecute him. Again. Right. So, yeah, yeah, he broke the law. But, you know, president, we can't do that because that's that's a bad precedent. Well, you're sure as hell going to get prosecuted That's the joke I make all the time. Can I just quit my job and pretend like my crimes go away? That's what they do every day. But that then raises another question. Okay, if it's unfair to prosecute him, that's not the whole answer. The question is, should we be putting someone like this forward as the leader of the country, leader of the free world who is engaged in this kind of conduct? The other thing is, this is not just an isolated example. Trump has, you know, has many good qualities. And he... Here's a really interesting point. Sorry to stop it so, so many times. But with, uh, somebody in the chat, Sarah, just said something really, really fascinating to me. She says, I'm pretty sure Watergate was Nixon's punishment for, for ending the Vietnam War. Well, that, that actually almost exactly aligns with my point. He wasn't legally accountable, right? I mean, you know, you can argue he was, you know, the impeachment. And, but what ultimately happened? Like, really, at the end of the day, there, he didn't go to jail and he wildly broke the law. Well, they all do. But you could argue, though, that from an internal sort of like mafioso keeping each other up, you know, like I've made this analogy a lot where you could argue like post prohibition, post, you know, like the supposedly let's just say post when the mafia was supposed to no longer be prevalent. You could really argue that what actually happened was the mafia overtook the government. And that's what we deal with today. Whitney makes some pretty broad, pretty strong arguments about how whether you, it's the exact thing or not, that they're basically mafia the way that they operate. And I really agree with that. But I actually go further and argue that it's likely, like we know during the 60s and I mean, or in Prohibition, JFK, that there was like, immer- like the government was wildly overlapped with the mafia. And it, it seems to me, if you really look closely, that they became the government. But my point is ultimately that they, they, they have that same kind of mindset where they don't tell the, the police when one of their mafioso friends do something they don't like. They self-regulate, right? 
same thing the government does. So in this case, you could argue that what happened with Nixon and Vietnam, you know, the whole or any number of things were about was them self-regulating. And I think the same thing with someone like Epstein or whatever else, that it's possible that the way they did this was setting a tone for other people involved in the same black market garbage that they're involved in. Anyway, I just think it's a really fascinating point to think about. And with Trump and whatever else, and, you know, or the Clintons for that matter, anybody, when there's never legal accountability, but you do see their names get dragged every now and again, right? Where suddenly there are, like I keep pointing out over the years, what happened after that massive congressional hearing about pay to play for the Clinton Foundation, where those gentlemen from Boston just laid out everything. They had the receipts. They nailed it to the wall. Literally nothing happened. But we know that. And people point about it, they talk about it, and we all kind of generally talk about how corrupt the Clintons are, and they don't seem to be very politically favored right now. Maybe that's how this works. Anyway, long point. I still think, I do think that's pretty fascinating, though. Accomplished some good things. But the fact, any good qualities, and he accomplished some good things. But the fact of the matter is, uh, he is a consummate narcissist, and he constantly engages in reckless conduct that that puts uh, his political followers at risk and, and, and the conservative and Republican agenda at risk. Would he put the country at risk if he was in the White House again? He, he will always put his own interests and gratifying his own ego ahead of everything else, including the country's interests. There's no question about it. This is a perfect I, example. But I happen to agree with that with pretty much every one of the politicians. But Trump is pretty strong with that. that. He's like, you know, he's like a nine year old, defiant nine year old kid who's always pushing the glass toward the edge of the table, defying his parents to stop him from doing it. It's a means of self-assertion and exerting his dominance over other people. And he's, he's a very petty individual who will always put his interests ahead of the country's, his personal gratification of his, you know, of his ego. But our this country, our country can't, you know, can't be a therapy session for, you know, a troubled man like this. Well, that's really not going to sit well with a lot of people that support Trump and and that arguably were continually, even like until quite recently, saying, you know, that Bill Barr was always on the side of the good, right? But the point I really want to make, as somebody in the chat was saying, oh, but I think Bill Barr is, you know, working with the Chinese. And it's just so funny how quickly these things change. And I just want to point out in general first that, and you know, you, this is, you guys don't need to hear this, but the average person who is tapped into the two-party illusion, in this case, the point I'm making in particular on the right, because at least in my personal opinion, I see the people on the right side of the illusion a little bit more willing to hear some other things or maybe a step further away from the illusion. But the point is, we need to start recognizing how the paradigm, and I don't mean the average people that are fooled by it. I mean the punt, the, the high-level people on Twitter, that you know their names, that never stray from the talking points, that are always on the party side, that will continually say things that I keep proving are false. And my point is, why do we let them pull people back in, or why do we trust the narrative, like trust the plan, the QAnon kind of stuff, that was like trust in Bill Barr. Remember all that? Bolton was on our side. Flynn was your hero. And then suddenly, on a dime. Now they're the worst person ever. We don't want to pretend like it never happened. Well, wait a minute now. How do, why don't we reflect on that? As I said, funny how this all turned out. Who could have guessed? A lot of us who were saying things earlier, probably. But one moment, Bolton is a hero. The next, he's always been a villain. And that's how that worked out. Kind of enemies closer kind of game. And everybody I talked to back then was super defending it. Oh, he knows. And he's the inside. Well, you know, he, and then suddenly, he's the worst guy ever. And he was never on Trump's side. Well, that's obviously not what they were saying. One moment, Flynn is a hero. And the next, he's always been an enemy. And now Bill Barr... We'll expose everything. How long have we been hearing that? And the next he's never been on our side. Well, can't we just reflect on how dumb that is and realize that we shouldn't be taking party sides? 
Well, the people that are pushing that don't care anyway. They're just trying to fool you into being one of their followers. Think about that. Now, this is going to develop, obviously, but I think the timing of it is quite interesting, obviously, in regard to the election. And it's weird how that seems to happen almost every time. I think what that shows us is how flimsy this is all becoming. I don't think they have. I think they're stuck in their one, two, three playbook and they just can't get past it. And people are seeing through it. But we'll follow up. We'll be seeing what happens. Now, we just uh, put up a great Substack. New tick-borne meat allergy arrives just in time for the anti-meat propaganda narratives. This is my show from day day before yesterday. It's important. And I'm going to make some points on it toward the end of the show. But uh, as always, Scott did some great write-ups here and added some new information, some more context. Went deeper on the alpha-gal syndrome, which I actually ended up – I always do that where I have something brought up on the screen. And then I dance back and forth and I end up missing a point. But I I briefly mentioned that, but then ended up missing the point that was going to trigger me to go further on it. But it's interesting. Alpha gal is is a it's there's a lot of there's a syndrome they talk about, but it's really something that is is only seemingly present in certain kinds of meat, but not in humans. At least that's the story we're getting. And that ultimately this tick bite creates that's that presence and then suddenly you're no longer able to consume meat and you get super sick and that's ultimately the point of why these lone star ticks are doing this but let's not forget the point of what we talked about in my show here which is that plum island and the reality of the tick-borne bioweapon which as much as they want to pretend like that's a conspiracy theory like i don't know vaccines hurting people it's easy to prove and now we're seeing all this happen and i just think it's very telling the timing of it and the reality of the meat discussion which again i'll save for the end but check out the Substack in general be a founding member, support the platform. I also want to point out things on the same point about kind of getting into some points about uh, sort of like this original point, but the idea of how the party, the paradigm and, and the things that we can easily prove. And yet, I guess it's the same exact point. And you get these people like Tucker or oh, Candace Owen who gaslight you to keep this narrative going. Well, I just want to include these so you can watch them for yourself. Milk Bar TV has been just nailing the story to the wall. Absolutely proving easily which is not that hard to do. I'm not diminishing his work, but the fact is it's just, as always, looking to see what's actually being said versus what he's telling you in this Tucker interview, which apparently did zero due diligence for. I just let absolute blatant lies float right across the journalistic discussion. Yeah, no big deal there. And apparently so did Candace. Either they wanted to misinform you or they didn't do any due diligence at all. (laughs) You guys can decide for yourself. But this is a good one hour, 18 minute video where he breaks this down. Please watch this. And this has gone around the world, guys. He's getting some well-deserved attention for this and a lot of other videos. Here's one just six minutes long where Candace Owens and Andrew Tate have said multiple times in their interview that this video with, you know, a couple of quick points have been taken out of context. And he says, I challenge anyone to show the full context and show basically watch this and pretend show why this is out of context. It's not. It's easy to prove. He's trying to use the right-wing media to recreate his story. He's probably going to end up in jail anyway. Bottom line, though, question everything. Question question all of it, including his story, what we're saying. But look at the information as a whole, and it's going to be very clear to you that at the very least he's misrepresenting his charges, misrepresenting things you can easily prove. Now, why would he do that? And I'm not saying that he's guilty. I don't know. Anybody could misrepresent things. They could be charged with fake crimes if the Matrix attacking him. But the truth is, he blatantly misrepresented what you can show on the documents that are out there, even if they're false allegations. Why? It's just interesting. And I, quite frankly, my personal opinion, as I've said from the beginning, this guy's a really, really, really serious POS. He is out there saying things that I think are the lowest common denominator. And that's the analogy of the Jersey Shore. 
They're putting these people out there as people to strive for, and they are not. There's a whole generation of kids that wanted to be like the Jersey Shore. That's my point. It's just terrible, low-grow, unintelligent people, in my opinion. And here's, I'll include these links in these videos so you can watch them for yourself. Now, on the note of things that are out there that are misinforming, I wanted to make a point on this. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to. I'm just trying to stay. But I, sometimes I think that these are important to make. And it's, it's the way, and it, it really does tie to the other point about information coming out at certain times. Like I was saying, like a soft reveal. But at the same time, having these kind of false not necessarily absolutely like a fake clip, but a misrepresented thing, like with uh, the CEO of Pfizer, where he is saying, I forget what it was. It was something about how uh, they, where the, I keep showing where somebody selected, chose to edit it out of context, and you can prove what they showed was fake. And it keeps popping back up. Or that same old clip of, oh, Bill Gates with the DOD. I can prove to you that's not Bill Gates, and that's not even a real video. But it, every month or so, somebody pops it back up. And so I think this one's really important because this is a real video. Now, we've shown you this probably four times because this has popped back up probably four times that I keep seeing. And as I said, TLAV covered this the last few times it popped up. Now, the point is, and I think we can just play the clip here for you. Let's just do that first. With uh, Stefan Bansel, uh, let's talk about vaccine development because we've heard how it happened, obviously, with COVID-19 starting from 2022 and how extraordinary the process was also in terms of the speed. How is development, adoption and scaling of vaccine going on when it comes for different variants and subvariants? Because this is one of the big concerns as, we, as we're all here now and we're discussing, we, we understand the context and this is a great deal. Sure. Well, good morning and thank you for having me on the panel. Um, so the great news versus 2020, where we are today, is we have manufacturing capacity. Okay, so just right out of the gate, he said 2020, whereas today, 2023, they're manufacturing capacity. So the, date, the, the first point is to realize he's referencing 2020 forward. As Seth knows, when the pandemic happened, Moderna had made 100,000 doses in 2019 for the whole year. Okay, so first of all, People who don't care to do their due diligence or just kind of broadly assume what they're hearing will make this out to make it sound as if the guy is talking about making COVID injections in 2019. Now, look, I am not defending this guy. And my main point about this is we don't need to misrepresent what they're saying or lie to, to show that these people are criminals. I mean, for, for, I almost cussed. We're crying out loud. These people are right now still giving these things that we have peer-reviewed science that prove not only that they're killing people, but they knew that. Why do we need more than that? You see my point? And I think things like this are being flat seeded out there. So we, we get mired on things that are provably misrepresented as opposed to, you know, like actual, like criminally sound things that we can put in a court of law where we can say, look, they knew it. We can prove the date. They should be in prison. The problem is the whole system is broken. But these kind of things are a problem for that reason. Now, the point is you can easily look up. Then in 2019, as we've made clear long before this, because we've been in 2020, we did a lot of deep research on these companies, right? And one of the bigger points was how Moderna was a failing company. They hadn't made anything to market before the COVID-19 injection, right? And that's a big point to make. Why were they making so much money? Why were they getting billions and billions of dollars? Well, because clearly they knew something, the people funding it, as well as most likely them. And I'm not denying that. Foreknowledge is all over the place. But what's interesting is the main point people make is, well, they're making COVID vaccines before. And that's not what he's saying. Not even at all. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Maybe he is. And the point is, I, I could be wrong. Question what I'm saying. But based on the research and based on everything you can prove, that's you can prove the amount in the act, what we did in the previous show. 
So 2019, they were working on a few, a multitude of different products that hadn't been brought to market, which amounted to about 100,000 doses of different things. Now, that's what my research has proven. I showed you this last time. Then in 2020, somehow they knew there was going to be a pandemic. And that's a fair point to make. Now, you could argue that he, he is only saying that in retrospect, well, but I don't necessarily believe that. I think there was a lot of overlap. We showed evidence in 2019, just before this, and even early 2020, before March and before that, that where you could see overlap, like the stock market. There's a lot of examples that they somehow knew something was going to happen. And that, I think, is the only real point to make here. But then, of course, he goes on to say. And I remember walking after Davos into the office of my head of manufacturing, and I say, how we make a billion dollars next year? And you look at me a bit funny, say, what? Uh, I say, yeah, we need to make a billion dollars next year. There's going to be a pandemic. Now, okay, right there again, people conflate the idea that he said 2019. Now, he's not. What he's saying is 2020. Next year, there's going to be a pandemic. That's what he's saying. Now, you could argue that he meant it the other way. Sure. But I think with what we can see openly here with the information, the 100 dose, the, the amount that he referenced, which is before. And, you know, my point is that it's pretty damn clear to me that you can, you can argue that there's foreknowledge. But the idea that this is him admitting on the record that they made COVID vaccines in I just casually know it's on still public and you can look at it. That just seems really stupid to me. Like, and even if that's true, again, we don't need these things to, pr- to prove they're criminals. These people are on the record doing things that we can prove they've lied about, they've covered up, that they've pushed. See, my point, that's far more relevant. But overall, four or five times now we've had to put this back down. All right, and a lot of them putting this out are saying, ultimately admitting to having prior knowledge and that there would be a pandemic and they made 100,000 doses in the whole year where they referenced the idea that that is COVID-19 shots. And I simply pointed out that it's being misrepresented. I think that's important. Now, here's an example of someone I would argue who did this the right way, right? And Tessie Lindsay doing a great job as always. And she breaks this down and shows just the part where he says that the idea that, that, that there's going to be a pandemic. And then she overlaps that with information about foreknowledge. Now, that is fair in my opinion, because I think that the idea that there was foreknowledge or that he could somehow know what was going to happen is a valid point. But the idea that we pretend that somehow that these were made beforehand because we misrepresent the clip, which is what's generally spreading around the internet right now, is just meant to keep us distracted. Now, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I mean, every time we show this, it's very easy to prove. Here's the full video if you want to watch all of it for full context. And I think it's pretty obvious. All I'm showing you this for, guys, is because I think it's really important that we recognize how many people are both trying to mislead us with information that is, in fact, valid. That's really him, and that's really the World Economic Forum. But it's easy to misrepresent, easy to selectively edit, and then people that don't know they're being misled and just don't want to check. You know the accounts out there, I've said before, that are happy to just, anything pops up, they'll share it because it aligns with what they're saying. There's no due diligence being done. That's important. Now, here's a great clip I think is important about something in the same vein where the Vigilant Fox, doing great work, puts this out saying, damning emails reveal Fauci lied under oath, funded gain-of-function research. Fauci told Senator Rand Paul under oath that he unequivocally did not fund it. And my point is, okay, well, is this a new story? I'm pretty sure that this is, that's, you know, Rand Paul really died like almost more, almost a year ago, right? I mean, there were actually less than that, maybe seven, six months. The point is when that first congressional conversation where Rand Paul grilled Fauci, and on the record, proved that they did, and he lied. And now we, and then even after that, we saw the emails. And yet, to my point is that this, I'll just read what I said. How many times can this story, same story, break? I'm glad it reaches new people every time. That's always a positive. But I'm starting to get the feeling that we're being kind of artificially kept 
in this like soft reveal news cycle where we keep cycling through slightly different versions of what many of us proved in 2020 and 2021. Now, of course, my, that's not meant to say, I got this, which is how people that don't like me will probably take that. It's not. It's not about me. It's about the fact that I think we're being kind of artificially kept in this, this cycle of information. Now, that's just a thought that I had, and it felt important. I feel like there's a way that we're being controlled that it's different. And I think that we're at a time where people in power, both for, you know, there's a video I was watching in regard to how the military is operating, but just in, in general, intelligence, social engineering, that they're realizing that we're starting to see through what they do. And I think they're reevaluating these things. So just think about that. In this case, I take note of this. And if you see it pointed out to me where we keep seeing these stories rehash, rehash, or pop up again and next month, the same thing in a little different way. Meanwhile, we're missing all of the much, much bigger stories. And of course, here's another one that just is insulting and ridiculous, and it probably won't get that much attention outside of certain circles. But the, you know, FTX, the, 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 the platform, and, and Sam Bankman-Fried, and the whole thing that was like one of the most obvious scams in history is about to relaunch their exchange because nothing happened. Not a joke. No criminal accountability, and the, even the platform's going to come back. Yeah, because we live in a absolutely controlled faking. This is as transparent as it gets. A group that was clearly involved with money laundering and, and stole a bunch of people's money. Well, that's exactly the point. He's dishonest in just the right ways, just like the people they like to use everywhere else, like the stories we talk about in the past. Right? All, the, all the corporate media people that, that got absolutely everything wrong about Iraq that's, they got it wrong just the way they were supposed to. Or Neil Ferguson. He lied just the way he was supposed to about how bad this was going to be, and they still use that. That's how this works, guys. Just crazy to me. Now, before we get into Niger, I, I keep moving past this. Or I saw this on the 27th, and I really want to highlight this. It's a five-minute video, but this is, an, this is a, an interesting exchange about censorship. Justin Hart posted this, and it says, if you watch one segment of the seriously slimy and egregious testimony from the DHS uh, about censoring Americans, make it this one. Now, this, this is um, Secretary Alejandro Mayork. I think that, uh, that looks like it might be longer. But uh, the point is, is it's almost hard, it's hard to watch. And this is kind of the state where, that everything feels like right now where it's almost as if they are very aware that we all see them. And that's why they're so very concerned about us, Americans. And all of the laws and everything they're doing seems to be kind of about insulating the power structure from the people. Why? Well, because even constitutionally, technically, we have the right to remove them from power, and they know that, but that's insurrection or whatever else they want to do when anything starts happening this way. But the point is that this highlights that, that they don't care. They know that they're unaccountable. They know we know they're unaccountable, and they're just going to laugh. Unless we do something, and I'm not talking about violence, they're just going to continue to, nope, you're wrong. Oh, no, East Palestine, they're fine. Nothing's wrong. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Well, we can prove it, though. No, you're wrong. No, there's Nazis in Ukraine. No, you're lying. It's wrong. You're wrong. Russia's bad. Okay. <laughs> okay, so my point is it doesn't matter how much information we have if the power structure just doesn't care, right? But the point is violence is not the direction. Uh, that's my opinion anyway. But if we don't do anything, it won't change. And what's stopping us? Well, you know the answer to that. If you listen to this show, it's pretty obvious of the two-party paradigm. And those same people that get the same people that are on the fence to fall back in line the moment they give them some excuse that makes them feel better. But this is what will continue. This is a gentleman from Louisiana. 
Secretary Mayorkas, we have the frustrating responsibility on this committee of providing oversight of your agency, but I have to be honest and tell you I'm not sure exactly what you do at the Department of Homeland Security other than great harm. On your watch, the data is pretty clear. We've had record levels of illegal immigration, a rapid decline in deportations, skyrocketing fentanyl deaths across our country, and the Secret Service, which is a DHS component, can't determine who left cocaine at the White House. In the middle of all this, you created the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, which is a division of, 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 your, of DHS, and it's one of the Biden administration agencies that colluded with and coerced the social media companies to censor Americans' protected free speech online. That's specifically detailed in a 155-page court opinion that came out of the federal court in Louisiana in the landmark litigation of Missouri v. Biden. Have you read that court opinion? Uh, Congressman, uh, I have not, and um, the, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency does not censor speech. Okay, well, that's the court found otherwise, and it's really curious to me. Actually, it's quite alarming that you haven't read the opinion, because your agency is listed in this opinion. The federal court looked at volumes of evidence over months of litigation, and they determined, among other things, that uh, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs, the states in this case are true, and, and hold on, the preliminary injunction was granted against your agency, sir, and other Biden administration agencies, including the DOJ and FBI, the court said it involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. And you're telling me this opinion issued July 4th has not reached your desk? No one's briefed you on it? Oh, I have been briefed on the Missouri litigation. Okay, but you haven't taken the time to read it yet. Congressman, um, No, hold on. Have you read it or not? I have read parts of it, Congressman. Oh, parts of it. Did you read the parts where it said that this is Orwellian and dystopian and that your agency is involved in a massive cover-up of specifically conservatives' free speech online? We, when we covered this, the, the actual report, and that is what it says ultimately, but, you know, of course, the right, they want to slant it in one direction, but it's really not about right and left. This is about censoring anybody that challenges the narrative. And you could argue that that is happening more on the right at this moment, but just be clear about this. It's about people like me more than anything, the people that are out there in the middle of all this exposing both sides. And I think that's really what this comes down to is about being able to censor people based on the illusion that what they're doing is violent and dangerous, which is what they've been stressing and trying to accomplish for a long time. And he sits there bald faced lying, saying it doesn't even censor speech. I mean, I don't even know how you could try to make that argument when you're otherwise openly saying that certain speech is not allowed and it's, it's racist or it's it's hate speech or violence. And yet he literally sits there and says, nope, not happening. Congressman, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is not involved in such conduct. Okay. Wow. Well, the court found otherwise. and you st- right, that, that's the, the court literally ruled that's not true. And they just don't care. This is the point that I was just making. A, co- a federal court is ruling this. Now, you can disagree with the court and you can say, well, we're going to appeal that. But you just can't be like, nope, <laughs> didn't. that's not true. I mean, of course, you can say that, but it's just, you see my point? It, it, this, it's, this is impossible, and I almost feel like it's meant to be this way. Stand here under oath, and you give us these answers that we know are not true, because this is demonstrably untrue. I'm suggesting to you that you're saying things to us under oath that are proven by the record to be untrue. Let right. me ask you about this specifically. Not just the court, um, CISA was created to, uh, we call it the Misinformation and Disinformation Subcommittee of CISA. Are you familiar with that? Uh, MDM, the MDM subcommittee, is it you're familiar wow. with that? Congressman, I am very well aware of the threat of disinformation <laughs> emanating from adverse nations. Are you states. familiar with the subcommittee? Just answer the question. I am. Okay. Does it still <laughs> exist? Congressman, are you speaking of the... Does the MDM subcommittee still exist? 
uh, I would have to get back to you on that. Okay. All right. Kind of a big deal in your agency. I'm uh, kind of shocked that you don't know the answer to that. Can you define what misinformation is? Congressman, uh, misinformation is false information that is disseminated uh, to... uh, Excellent. Who determines what is false? This is important. Uh, Congressman, our focus... No, who determines what is false in your agency? If you're going to pull something off the Internet and collude with a social media platform to make sure Americans don't see it, who determines what's false? Congressman, we don't do that. That's not true. That is not true. That is not what the court has found. This is not a Republican talking point. This is what the documents show. We've had people testify under oath that say, and you just define the term, you're telling me that you don't know who determines what is false? Congressman, what we do at CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is identify the tactics that adverse nation states use to weaponize disinformation Okay, what is disinformation? What is disinformation? Disinformation is inaccurate information. Who determines what's inaccurate? Who determines what's false? Do you understand the problem here? The reason the framers of our Constitution did not create an exception for, quote-unquote, false information from the First Amendment is because they didn't trust the government to determine what it is. And you have whole committees of people in your agency trying to determine what they they determine, they define as false or misinformation. That is not true. Then what is true? What we Please do enlighten us. Is what we do is we disclose the tactics that adverse nation states are utilizing to weaponize no, information. No, sir. No, sir. The court found specifically it's a finding of fact that is not disputed by the government defendants, the Biden administration, your agency, the FBI, or DHS. Not in the litigation. They didn't- that was really quick. Don't miss that. What he said is that in the litigation, the, 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 the Biden's administration did not even def- did not argue against the points being made. They argue that they're doing not that they're not breaking the law. You know, they're pushing back in that way, but they're not disputing what this is saying. And yet he sits here and just goes, no, you're wrong. Well, their their own counsel didn't say that. Determined you made you and all of your cohorts made no distinction between domestic speech and foreign speech. So don't stand there and tell me under oath that you only focused on adverse, you know, uh, adversaries around the world. Now, that's really important because this is how they play this game. And the reason he's so desperately trying not to give a a definition is because, well, then that's on the record. And then we have something to to point back at and say, well, that doesn't fit the definition because they don't want any guidelines or any kind of guardrails. What they're doing is just basically conflating anything they think is dangerous and saying, well, the only reason an American is saying that is because they're being manipulated by Russia, even if they don't know it. We've already heard that, guys. We hear that clumsy and frail argument as long as it's been going on, because it's not possible that I could just come to these conclusions on my own, right? But that's what they're doing. And so he just sticks to the line. Nope, it's only foreign, because if anyone's doing it, that's foreign influence, right? I mean, it's just basic and clumsy, and everybody sees this, guys. Even those that are trying not to admit it or pushing back on it, they're not stupid. It's quite obvious what's happening. They just agree with why it's happening, which means they don't support the Constitution. And I mean, I should be clear. I don't know what people are thinking. What I'm saying is that the, the, the momentum of this, you can clearly see that that is the, the reasoning behind this, which has been openly discussed. But each individual person of the reasoning, of course, I don't know what they're thinking. Actors. That's not true. Congressman, the, um, the Missouri case, the litigation to which you refer, is the, the subject of continuing litigation. But the facts were not disputed. And I so, so regret that I'm out of time. I hope I and of course, because they can appeal to the end of time. And apparently that always means that it's not true. This is their classic tactics because they have unending resources, your tax dollars. 
you know, what you don't have if you want to accuse them of the same thing. That's how this game is played. I think this is wildly important. Michael Schellenberger points out, or rather Aaron uh, 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 Carity points out, they're lawyers. The Missouri versus Biden censorship case recently gave a lunch and a law talk about the case at the, this, this uh, account, the New Civil Liberties Alliance. YouTube censored and removed the video. So this is about as ridiculous as them trying to censor RFK Jr. before a hearing about censorship, right? They have a, a meeting where lawyers are speaking about the case, about censorship, and YouTube censors it. Like, this just shows you how ridiculous these things are right now. Which, I, I mean, I can't, I mean, my, maybe I'm wrong, but I sense desperation. There's no other reason, because they know about the Streisand effect. They know that when this happens, people go out of their way to try to, well, what didn't you want me to see? But what else are they going to do? They're losing control of these things, and people see right through this. Remember when censorship in general was a conspiracy theory? Isn't that fun to think about? Well, as he points out down here, they could just the, the, the actual medical misinformation policy. So lawyers speaking about a lawsuit that they're involved in is now medical misinformation. Remember all the people that said I was lying when they kept using arbitrary things to censor my videos? No, they just put down whatever they want because they're not accountable. As we know, no, prove that the government is involved with these censorship tactics now. And that's not because of Twitter screenshots. It's because we've proven that. But Glenn Greenwald points something else out that applies to Facebook. He says, meet Aaron Berman, who spent his entire adult life working at the CIA, only to leave to become a top Facebook official responsible for censoring political speech. It's almost, it's almost laugh out loud ridiculous. Among other things, Aaron was the key Facebook official who censored Brazil's debates before 2022. Of course, he's retired. You're a conspiracy theorist. He just works for Facebook now, you crazy maniac. It's just so crazy to me. And here, here is this is name redacted. After learning that Twitter employees employs at least 15 former FBI agents, I searched Facebook. What I found is alarming. Facebook currently employs at least 115 people in high-ranking positions that formerly worked for the FBI, CIA, NSA, DHS. You know why? Because it's the government, guys. I mean, you just have to be real about what these things are. You can tie this back to the original discussion of how these things were founded. But bottom line is, if you, just, if you don't want to even get into that, just realize this is obvious. Do you think these people aren't continuing what they're doing, if not actually still in these positions? It's the same thing as the Israeli mil intelligence apparatus. And what Whitney continues to tell you, how the former Mossad or Unit 8200 that are literally working in positions of corporation of power all across the United States are openly telling you that they're working for the betterment of Israel's government. At the, I mean, it's just so blatantly obvious. But we're not allowed to talk about these things. Dr. Ahmad Malik points out that his podcast, the bank he uses for his podcast, was just frozen. This is going to get worse. It just, we just got to we got to start acting to uh, taking action that's that insulates us from what's happening. Right. Vote with your dollar. In fact, stop using dollars. Find sound money. The point is, there's a lot of different directions you could go in, but most of them do limit what you can do in your life. But that's a choice, isn't it? And that's not because we choose that. That's what they have done to us. So think about it that way, too. But you need to start using things that are outside the controlled structure, right? This is why I talk about the sovereign bank plan that Catherine Austin Fitz is discussing in Tennessee. You know, there's a lot of different things we should be doing. Now, let's talk about, you know, for the same reasons, 
why other places around the world are reacting the same way. Now, look, as much as this is an interesting transition where I'm going not violence, and then we go to a discussion where the apparently the, the government and, and different people in power used violence to overthrow what you could argue were U.S. and French puppets. But the real question becomes, what becomes of it next, right? Now, even let's just take it at face value before I get into the bigger discussion. Let's just say for sake of conversation for sure that these are, you know, Western puppets. And the, I guess let's just make it for sake of conversation, the population supported group overthrows those puppets. Well, in the the immediate moment, well, it's it's a positive thing because, well, the people now have control, but... It's the military and the power that took over that has control. And historically, they almost never go embody what the what the real mo- the, the idea is about. That it's about you know, populate whatever the the pro the ideas of the population, the things that they really want. It ends up just becoming a new power structure. Where maybe in the beginning it's a little bit better, but historically we see a lot of things shift very early. And then right away, I can promise you that French and U.S. assets are already trying to destabilize this. But what I understand is that. But just put it simply, as I always say, violence begets violence. And if you overthrow with violence, it will lead to more violence eventually. That's just my personal opinion. But on that note, I think this is an interesting discussion. This is from 26th of July. Soldiers in Niger claim to have overthrown President Mohamed Bazoum. Now, soldiers in Niger claim to have removed the president from power on late Wednesday. And this this would have been, yeah, it's, so the... Well, it, this was written on 26th. It was Wednesday last week. Hours after members of the president's guard, presidential guard detained the politician at his official residence. So the actual presidential guard are the ones that detained him, according to Al Jazeera, which speaks to a like. That is a very interesting. Those are the closest people to this person who turned on him. Right. And so it just kind of speaks to the fact that most everybody in this discussion were not in line with this person. And I think it's pretty easy to prove that this person had the support of the U.S. and the West. So that doesn't necessarily prove that he was inserted unjustifiably, but I think that's clearly what happened, in my opinion. But it says, in a statement broadcast on national television, Colonel Mayor Abdu Abdraman said that the defense and security forces have decided to put an end to the regime you are familiar with. So it's interesting is, you know, obviously the one side that's going to take power is going to frame themselves as the altruistic side, you know, doing the right thing. But the way they frame it is the regime you're familiar with. It says, quote, this follows the continuous deterioration of the security situation, the bad social and economic management. Well, then the point is the people weren't happy with this, or at least that's what they're saying, the way it was being managed. Well, that's pretty consistent with foreign Westerns managed countries. It's always siphoning off resources and, and, and benefits for the Western powers at the expense of places like, you know, the entire continent of Africa for centuries. But it says, and that goes well before the U.S. government. The soldier said the country's borders were closed and the nationwide curfew was in place. Now, I always have an issue with this. You know, so whether or not you see, see this as a positive thing, even in the intern, you're suppressing people's rights. Right. And so it, it just becomes a concern. So where the president now becomes, you can essentially establish nationwide curfew and, and, you know, lockdown, essentially. All institutions of the country were also suspended. All institutions. So it's really concerning, especially if you might worry this isn't what it looks like, right? When everything's shut down and now you don't even have access to institutions like banks. And, and, and you know, that maybe arguably means medical institute and medical facilities. Interesting. 
The group, which is calling itself the National Council for the Safeguarding of the Country, warned against any foreign intervention. So that's the interesting part. Right when this happened, they were immediately saying, don't anybody come mess with this. Don't West, U.S., France, they're warning against anybody trying to step in and, and arguably bring it back to what it was. The announcement came after a day of uncertainty as Niger's presidency reported that members of the elite guard unit were engaging in an anti-Republican demonstration. Interesting overlaps to kind of all these different conversations, right? Demonstrations like this feels very similar to what they want you to think was happening on January 6th. And news agencies reported that Bazoum was being held at the palace by mutinous forces. I just it's interesting how it gets framed, right? If this was a force backed by the West, well, this would be a freedom you know, a revolution for freedom, and it's not mutinous for, it's just, it's interesting. And you'll see why, because right away, you know, well, the United States immediately called for his release, which, you know, again, doesn't prove, but is a, you, I mean, do you think the U.S. government would stand up and defend somebody that they weren't supporting? So at the very least, you can clearly see, and we already knew, that they support this person, and that the people generally seem not to. But it says, quote, I spoke with President Bazoum earlier this morning, and made clear that the United States resolutely supports him. And as democratically elected president of Niger, which I take issue with, that was Blinken, of course, he says, quote, we call for his immediate release. It says Al Jazeera's, Al Jazeera's Mike Hanna reported from Washington, D.C., said the developments in Niger were of great concern to the U.S. and its allies. Can you wonder why? Well, because they care about democracy, right? Don't they want freedom for the people? No, not at all. The U.S. has two drone bases in Niger. They also have about 800 troops, some of whom are understood to be special forces who have been training in the Nigerian military. Yeah, so military occupation. Well, we can pretend like it's what they want, but is it what they want when a puppet allows this to happen, when the people of the country don't want this? Well, so this is what they're ultimately saying is we don't want foreign involvement. And the two drone bases from Niger are used all the time in places like all over the Sudan, all the different engagements. Is this what Niger wants? It says, quote, essentially, Nigeria is the last U.S. ally standing in this particular region of the world. Yeah, it's all about democracy, right, guys? Governments in neighboring Mali, Burkina Faso, have been toppled in military coups. And both of these countries have expelled the French soldiers who were there and have returned, this is what they're saying, to a Russian-backed forces for protection. Now, here's an interesting point about this. The U.S. government is absolutely going to say that's bad, right? Well, the Ru- Russia, like as if Russia carried out a coup in this area. Well, it's certainly possible. But what we continue to see is that Russia continues to play this game smarter than the U.S., where they are actively supporting the groups that want independence from an occupying force. Now, does that mean Russia is not taking advantage? I highly doubt that. But at the very least, it appears that they are asking for Russia's help, which is a bit different than what the U.S. government does. And but see, that doesn't matter. So Russia involved is bad. And there this is going to become something very serious because of all the different dynamics with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, clearly there's a bot going on. And if they're going to Russian back forces, it's going to be framed as probably an extension of Russia invading the world as they want to frame this. But doesn't it matter that the people of Niger want this help? Of course not. See, that's not how that works. But when you see that they've expelled the French soldiers, by extension, the Western presence. Doesn't that continue to show you the opposite of what they're selling you like the idea well of course you could argue that the coup factions aren't supported by the people but my research doesn't seem to suggest that so we're talking about niger mali burkina faso all basically pushing out western powers now i believe this is beginning to show us that this is the diminishing power that we all keep seeing happen 
where these occupied territories, I mean, you could think about it in a lot of different contexts, like the Roman Empire, where the point was they essentially stretched themselves to the point where they couldn't effectively manage all of the outskirts and different places they had, right? I mean, at this point, we're talking about literally a worldwide presence. So where I, think, I think we're beginning to see this. And this is why they're desperately trying to step into this technocratic, more digital, you know, technological-based warfare, but also occupation. But it says, so this is something that the U.S. knows and has been watching with great concern, you know, the Russian involvement, and that this could possibly be the next step in what is happening in Niger. The United Nations, of course, same thing, denounces the coup. Again, if this was somebody they supported, even if it was wildly violent, as we've seen, they would call it freedom. Just like we've talked about in Venezuela or any number of examples, or how about Bolivia for that matter? A literal, wildly violent military overthrow. Never was a not kind of an election, right? They just removed him from power. And I think it was, it was MIT, I forget this college, did a study on this and was like, they lied. They, that, that was a, a legitimate election. There was international observers. They just lied about it. And of course, the very group that was screaming that it was a bad problem, they just shut up the moment their person got in place. Right, so that the UN stands up and goes, yay, over this, they go, no, bad coup. Well, that, you know, again, I'm not saying it means that it's the opposite when they do that, but t- it's kind of transparent that they've become lately. Secretary General Ontario, Antonio Guterres said he, quote, condemns in the strongest terms any effort to seize power by force. You know, except when the U.S. does it or anybody that you like does it or, you know, of course, Israel, you know, but, but, but now we do, you know, now, strongest possible terms. I just, you know, this is why people don't take these people seriously. The guy that just said we've entered the, the phase of global boiling. These people are cartoons, man. And the bottom line is that you can't condemn seizing power by force when you are absolutely silent when that happens every 30 seconds by the Western powers. But it says, and to undermine democratic governance, peace, and stability in Nigeria. Well, is that what was happening? As they siphon off resources and gold and everything else? Well, he also called on all actors involved to exercise restraint and to ensure the protection of constitutional order. Right. You know, the order that you never have until it's pointed. You know, it's the same point, guys. And it's just so embarrassing that they keep stressing the things that you can prove they never care about when it's on their side. Then it says, of course, France, too, strongly condemned all attempts to take power by force. Right, except when they do it. Well, the real point is this is largely about a you know a French colonial kind of conversation here, but it's better to look at it at this point from a, a West perspective because it's obvious that globalist powers as well as primary powers in the West are really calling most of the shots here. But first, here's what I think is interesting. Here is what it says on the 2021 Nigerian coup d'etat attempt, but it's really more so about the 2020 discussion. It says the coup d'etat, the coup attempt took place while Niger was mired in a war in the Sahel with marked terrorism and inter-ethnic violence. So the real question first is, is this just, I mean, not even is, this is easily without question to some degree, the same forces that the U.S. government has been seeding, arming, funding, and moving around for a long time. Let's not forget James Corbett's excellent work, Ben Swan's excellent work, that whether or not every aspect of this is under their control, the reality is these groups were created by the U.S. government and other aspects of power around them in the West, but the reality is undeniable. You can show it. Like I've said a few times, you have the receipts. But of course, it's fake news for people that just don't want to accept that hard reality. But in this case, I think it's pretty obvious to ask whether or not this is more of that 
driving people to take the kind of actions they want or justifying their invasion or occupation in places all over the world. But it says Sahal countries received France's help, of course. Do they want that help? Against the terrorists. So problem, reaction, solution, right? Operation Bark- Barcane with controversial actions. Right, don't you love that? I, I'm sure that is a hell of a lot more right there. They could have fleshed out. But it says in 2020, a coup d'etat overthrew the government of the Melanian president. Now, that's one of the groups that just pushed out the French and the Western powers. So there you go. It's an interesting overlap. Niger successfully went through, they argue, 2020-2021 Nigerian general elections with incoming peaceful presidential transitions. We are, of course, right after they had a lot of conflict and right after a lot of this you know, Western effort that was taking place in these areas. And it says that, however, the defeated opponent, ex-president, of course, has contested the election. Well, but they don't care about that because he's not the person they support, right? But doesn't it matter that this guy has continued to speak out about how he feels this was not legitimate? <laughs> no, only when it's the thing they want to say, right? At the very least, this president continued to say that that was not real. But here is the current guy who was just removed meeting with Anthony Blinken. Not that, again, that proves anything, but I continue to point out that this government has shown itself to near consistently only deal with people that they support and most likely are in some way influencing, right? That matters. Now, going forward to July 31st, Niger arrests politicians after coup, other junta voice support. Now, that's what I was just kind of saying, that it, this would appear that these are the people that they might suspect, suspect are compromised. If that's what's happening now, going forward to today, Burkina Faso, Mali say military intervention in Niger would be a declaration of war. So you can see that they've got support from the surrounding area. This feels like a lot bigger movement than just some small shift of power, a small, but, you know, global scale. This feels like, like I said in the beginning, this feels like an indication of what we keep seeing, right? That there is a shift of power all around the world with the diminishing reach and power and influence of the U.S. empire, both financially but also militarily, despite what many people might say. And I think this is really fascinating because I think what we're watching here, what, it doesn't mean you have to support the people that did this or the fact that it happened, but just generally overview that this seems to be happening around the world right now. I mean, even going back to things like Germany and Russia, like that, I don't think that ever would have happened before all of this where Germany was like, no, I'm going to deal with Russia. And of course they blow up the Nord Stream pipeline and that worked out for them just fine. The reality though, is that there is a shifting power structure. And I think that scares the hell out of them because what happens if they lose that much power? Well, the people like us that are calling them criminals will suddenly have more ability to put them in jail. And that's what tends to happen. Ask the people in Nigeria. Now, uh, I, I tend to agree with what uh, Nico House said here. France wants to pup their puppet back in power so they can continue plundering Nigeria for its uranium. And a lot of other things, mind you. This is one of the points you make about Africa all the time. They're rare earth minerals. Like it's, it's amazing that we don't talk enough about how, one, it shows you that there's overlap with China in regard to the United States, but how they're reliant on China for like 90-something percent of rare earth minerals that they desperately need for military electronics, for everything. So I... I I think that proves there's more connection than we realize. But on top of that, that they desperately need other resources. That's why they went after the lithium in Venezuela or the lithium in in multiple places in Africa. It's pretty clear to me. But it says, this is a great point. How can Niger export almost $40 billion a year in uranium alone, yet only have a GDP of $9 billion? Well, because they're being raped, robbed, stolen, beaten down, like every other colonialized country in, the, in Africa. 
They're tired of being robbed in broad daylight. I agree with that. I, I completely agree with this point. Now, Sarah points out something on top of that. So again, it's not just uranium. I bet you it's a lot of other things too. I believe probably, I don't know if exactly in Nigeria, but I know in Congo and other places reasonably close that there's a lot of cobalt, which are very important to electronics, specifically military, right? But it's also just gold. France boasts the fourth largest reserves with 2,436 tons of gold. Yet, interestingly, not a single gold mine in its borders. <laughs> Look at that. Magic, right? Mali, a former colony of France, has 860 gold mines and produces 50 tons of gold a year, but doesn't have any gold reserves in its bank. Yeah, it's pretty damn obvious that we are coming full circle. People are aggressively becoming aware that the apartheid racist state of Israel is absolutely what we've always said they are and has nothing to do with Judaism, which all sorts of people, actually, I'll point by the next. With as Orthodox Jews, both in the U.S. and Israel, are more and more finding their voice to speak out about it. But the reality is that we see with this the colonialism, the modern-day slavery. All of this is very real. Look at the lithium mines in Africa. I mean, I am actually pretty hopeful about how much people are seeing, but it does start to feel worse and worse because they're desperate to stop what we're doing. But this is important, too. These people are criminals, guys. Now, what they keep wanting... This is an overlap that's almost hard to swallow with the woke direction, which is really like that joke they used to make about how, you know, now the bombs will fall with pride flags on them. Like that makes any difference. It's just ridiculous. Right. But this is what just came out from the CIA channel, your curiosity and investigate investigative mind by serving as a targeting officer in the CIA as they really push this kind of like woke, you know, Whatever the the term will be, we now we're hiring like in the military, hiring trans people, like really pushing this mindset, and this is what this amounts to overseas. Oh, they say the next ones will be sent by a woman. It's just drone bombs falling over the place, and the other woman said the woman says really makes you feel like you're part of history, you know, as the bombs are falling over their heads and murdering their family. You know, that's because that will matter. That's what matters. Right? At least their bombs are are woke, equitable. It's all an illusion, guys. It's all about getting their achieved, their achieving their ends at your expense. Now, here's the point that I was just making. I actually can't. The video is really hard to listen to. You'll hear why, like when I watch. I think it doesn't matter. God, it's just like even when it's low, it's it's the the um the feedback is really hard to listen to. But listen to it at your own time. It's I've I played very similar videos more than once. It's right here. It says, and this is Torah Judaism, one of many of these accounts that are getting a lot of attention for calling this out. It says Zionism cannot speak for Judaism because there is no Zionism in Judaism. It's not. It's, it's a political ideology. Israel and the Zionists have one purpose, to impose their own policies of occupation and usurpation on the world through the Holocaust and anti-Semitism. Zionism uses anti-Semitism as a weapon. These are Orthodox Jews saying this. Now, I guarantee you people will call me an anti-Semite for saying that, even though I'm saying, or rather just pointing at, what an Orthodox Jewish pra- pra- priest, pastor, what's the term for that? They, they, they're saying. How dumb is that? That's the same as, as I think it was uh, Andrew Bridgeton, who was referencing a Holocaust survivor who said this was worse than the Holocaust. And then they frame him as saying that COVID is worse than the Holocaust. He, he's simply pointing at what the Holocaust survivor said. And they know that. They're just desperate, guys. This is breaking through. It's important to see that, guys, that we're always being lied to about this stuff. Now, in the Ukraine, you know, the Ukrainian neo-Nazis, Nazis, fascists, who are also supported by the fascists in Israel, are saying, you, or she's pointing out that Ukraine has once again attacked the Moscow City Business Center. 
And this is, I actually can't believe that Russia hasn't responded. Like, do you know what the U.S. government would do if anybody was bombing Washington, D.C.? I mean, come on, guys. And this is Russia in on the front lines of this as, as Ukraine's being armed by the United States. So this might as well be the U.S. government bombing in the middle of Moscow. That's wild. As well as the middle of the Donbass civilian center. Well, nobody cares about that. But this is not the first time. Same area they attacked 48 hours ago. None of the media cares about this, apparently. Two drones were destroyed by air defense, and one of the lost control is being disabled by electronic warfare. And you can see that the, the windows are crashed in. I mean, it's just kind of mind-blowing. And internally, you can see it broke. Look at that. Uh, you should follow Fiorella. She's doing great work on a lot of this stuff. And it's just, it's just kind of mind-blowing that they are so blatantly dishonest about this, and people can see it. Oh, Rabbi, thank you. I'm surprised I didn't catch that. I'm an idiot. Rabbi. For the point I was making before somebody pointed in the chat. Uh, the Sprinter team points out something really important that I actually just referenced on a show. I forgot what show it was, but the 79th Air Assault Brigade of the Armed Forces of Ukraine in Zaporozhye have just received methamphetamines from the U.S. government, directly from U.S. aid. Look at that, guys. USA branded and everything. Here's our specially made methamphetamines that are illegal everywhere, except when we make them, right? Except when we ship them all over the world. And that ends up being sold by, as drugs by people that get part of it. And, you know, but no big deal. Totally not like the CIA has been caught tra trafficking cocaine like 100,000 times or that they still work with Colombia to do that right now. But no big deal. It's just so stupid how obvious all this stuff is. The point is they're quite literally giving methamphetamines to the losing side of this war because they're desperate, guys. I mean, this is mind-blowing. You're being paid for Oh, look at this. Both medicines are used during surgery. Okay, okay, here's the Twitter. But does that mean they're not going to be used? <laughs> it's funny to me. So, the, so their, their fact check for those of the podcast on Twitter says that they're both used in surgery. Methamphetamines? I don't know how that even makes sense, but whatever. But the point is, ultimately, you know that this being sent is going to be used, like whether it's the military or not. Like we said, 30% of what gets sent in general is already been proven to only to make it to the front lines. Ever, the rest of it's being sold and sent and used by other people. Lastly, the, Depart the State Department put this out. COVID-19 demonstrated to the world, you know, the illusion that we're proving is an illusion, but it still demonstrates things to them that diseases can spread quickly. Killing millions and impacting safety, security, and stability. Oh, is that what it proved? The lie proved that? Our new bureau... The new Bureau of Global Health Security and Diplomacy, my God, will ensure we continue to work with partners to address existing and emerging health threats. Secretary Blinken, today we are launching the new Bureau of Global Health Security and Diplomacy. Exactly. Why exactly do we need that? Like, the, like this is just one more unaccountable extension of bureaucracy from the, in, the intelligence apparatus. Why can't the State Department do that? Like the idea that it's so ridiculous, a global health security. And why exactly does the U any U.S. department have a global mandate? Yeah, we all know why, guys. It's obvious where this is going. And the point is we'll get to, if we have time at the end, to the reality of where this is going with the WHO and so on. And it's just, it's just kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Global health security. That is what we've been warning about. That is the... WHO sovereignty removing kind of concept where they are going to the point to where we all need to adhere to what the global security, it is the extension of the same thing they made or ignored with UNESCO, right? That the health of the globe is more important than your individual rights.
even though that's quite literally a violation of the UN international law mandate and bioethics, but who cares? Because, you know, law only matters when they want it to. And speaking of that exact point, make sure you don't miss the amazing interview we just had with Brooke Jackson. Pfizer trial reveals Big Pharma, which includes the FDA and CDC, is now seen as too big to fail. It's a really interesting point that Brooke comes to in this discussion. And I agree. It's actually verified by what the points they're making, and I'll show you next, where they're essentially, well, I'll just, I'll just prove it to you. Now, this is a really important interview. This is the third one we've had with her. And as the rest of them have all of the documentation, here is actually her page, which has everything. And I recommend you save that. Here's the very first interview we had, the first interview with Brooke in general on a video. I'm really proud of that. Do you realize this is one of the most recognizable cases around the world in regard to COVID-19? And this is huge. And I'm proud to say that I was the very first person to interview her. And yet, nonetheless, we are still seen as a small platform. You know, that's how it works. But Pfizer whistleblower exposes cover-up calling vaccine data into question. And I still recommend every single thing you need to understand that she has been proven right from the beginning is right there. It's right there. The cloud documents that prove with their own emails, inter, inter, uh, within their own inventavia during the trial, they're emailing back and forth admitting and trying to cover up what she's talking about. And yet they said, no, fake news in the very beginning. And now they've essentially argued that it is true, but it's not relevant. It's, it's unbelievable. Here's the part two. Pfizer reveals concerns with that integrity, vindicating previous claims. The point, though, is that this, well, actually, here's the very, the, uh, dis, the motion to dismiss. So they tried to dismiss this case. It, and they succeeded. It got dismissed. Unfortunately, which is, I mean, again, it's just kind of mind-blowing. And that's the point we make in the discussion is that they say, essentially admitting to what Brooke has been pointing out, but that it doesn't matter because what they did is they claim they delivered a viable product, which is all that really mattered. But they didn't, though. We're also proving that it's not working even the way they promised it did. But that's, that's apparently not even relevant to the case. But the fact that they broke the law is not, doesn't matter. Why? Well, because they're only adhering to the False Claims Act. Well, who is going to follow up on the fact that they're admitting they broke the law in this very trial? Nobody, apparently. But here is what it says, just to make sure we see this in their own documentation. Operation Warp Speed was an interagency partnership between the HHS and the DOD that coordinated federal efforts to accelerate the development, acquisition, and distribution of COVID-19 medical countermeasures. Well, this is the point that we make with Sasha Latipova and a lot of other focus on the the... the Obvious reality, this is a military operation with medical countermeasures, which says right there, which we've already proven, as Sasha has proven more than anybody, which basically shows you that this is a, a theater show with the FDA. This is a military operation, and everything changes when you make it a military medical countermeasure. But nobody cares about this in the corporate discussion. Now, here's the point about the bigger, too big to fail. This is quite literally what they argued, that Brooke Jackson's views are impossibly at odds with the government's, because, you know, government never lies, right? But it says she is not entitled to hijack Kaitan, which is the, the, false, uh, the uh, false claims process, to pursue an anti-vaccine agenda. And earlier in other documents, they literally called her anti-government. And they're, what they're trying to frame is her as being violent, right? That's what that means. But anti-vaccine, so you're proving that they violated the, the processes of the trial and she's anti-vaccine, when the point is she actually got those, as she's admitted to. And it's only after all of this become aware. So as they were making these points, that wasn't even the case. But of course, that's all. they're desperate. But here's what it says. Congress enacted the False Claims Act to vindicate fraud on the federal government, not second-guess decisions made by those empowered through the democratic process to shape public policy. 
So apparently if a politician says it, you're not allowed to challenge is essentially what they're saying. But even more so, to rule otherwise would be to turn the False Claims Act into a tool with which a jury of six people could retroactively eliminate the value of FDA approval and effectively require that a product largely be withdrawn from the market even when the FDA itself sees no reason to do so. Right, because the FDA is right no matter what. Like, it's written in plain English. Well, we can't just allow them to, to use the False Claims Act to, to allege that the FDA is, or that the, you know, that if the FDA said it was okay, that that then turns out to be false. We can't do that. You see, you know, you know what's just beneath that that's not written? Because that would create vaccine hesitancy. That's the whole point. Is it not possible the FDA can get it wrong? Well, they have many times. So what they're quite literally saying is we can't allow a jury of people to rule that the FDA is wrong because that would allow them going forward to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the whole point was they ruled in this favor. They said, yep, you're right. And that is basically saying that it's too big to fail. We can't undermine the FDA. That would ruin the whole process. Do you? I mean, this is chilling, guys. And the judge ruled in favor. But the point was that they followed up and they ruled or they, they, they filed to appeal the dismissal, which apparently that was reinstated. So now apparently their appeal to the dismissal is in process, which means if they win, they could effectively reinstate the case. That hasn't happened yet, but it's an important case, guys, and I really hope you will check into this. Here's the uh, interview that, that Taylor had with Sasha Latipova, how Pfizer and the Department of Defense defrauded the public. Really important. I just think this case is super important. Here's her last tweet on this. This motion is likely to be denied and the decision to dismiss upheld but the appeal was reinstated, right? So it's, it's a positive step, but I'm not feeling hopeful with how this is already gone. Here's the actual final one you can check out, but really important, guys. I just think this is just mind-blowing. It really just proves to you how they see this. And just like with the injection, even though they know it's hurting people, well, it's, or like Scotland, for example, refusing to investigate neonatal deaths because that would cause vaccine hesitancy. So you're okay with children dying? Yeah, apparently so. It's just it's crazy. Well, let's talk about the COVID injection in general. Things how it's just as much as I, as we all should know, everything I'm about to say in this next segment is easily already proven with all the work we've done in the last three plus years. But let's do it again anyway. Here's Vigilant Fox pointing out something really important. Actually, Dr. Peter McCullough pointed this out that Fox shared. The vaccines actually never worked to begin with. Yes, yet again, another claim that I've been saying for a long time being backed up by somebody I respect. And here's what he had to say. Anyone this vaccine worked for? Was there anyone that this was a good idea that they, they, they should have taken it? No, it doesn't appear so. You know, even the original clinical trials by Pfizer and Moderna now have been analyzed, and the companies took so many shortcuts. Uh, there were so many violations of good clinical trial conduct that in the end, the vaccines actually never worked to begin with. And they were rolled out uh, before they were adequately safety tested. They were never inspected. And uh, multiple calls for them to be removed from the market have come out over the course of time. I made the call on the floor of the U.S. Senate December 7, 2022. Pull them all off the market. Nobody opposed me. Yeah. I mean, I, you guys have heard me say this, and it's, it's an important stance to take. And I don't, it's not just because I wanted to. The evidence backs this up, and it has for a long time. I'm just not afraid to be called a conspiracy theorist because the evidence backs it up. And Peter McCullough has shown himself to be very courageous in all this, even if you disagree with him. I mean, it's a hard, it is a very challenging stance to take right now. And I, but again, it's a really incredible that we can prove this, right? Let's just start with the one that he referenced here. And this is the one that I just can't get past. 
The, it's, it's, it is on the table, right? It's clear as anything I've seen that they reanalyzed the phase three data. You guys have probably seen this 75 times I've shown it. For those that are new, they reanalyzed the phase three data of Pfizer and Moderna. This is a peer-reviewed study on one of the most respected platforms in medical literature. Right here. It's not retracted. It's not debunked. They reevaluated it. This is Peter Doshi, the British Medical Journal's senior editor. And they're going, the Pfizer trial, when they reevaluated it, in fact, showed a 36% higher risk of death, serious disability, and hospitalization in the vaccine group compared to not taking it. Moderna was only 6% higher. But both of those show you that they are more dangerous to take than not. No matter what the circumstance, especially when you recognize that we now know, based on another peer-reviewed study that is currently not retracted in 2023 by one of the leading groups on this in this discussion in general, the Ionitis group, where, again, they showed you that at a global level, before vaccinations ever came out, the infection fatality rate could have been as low as 0.03 and 0.07. So that's 0.03 under 59, 0.07 under 69. That is less than the flu. And then it gets even more crazy when you realize that 94% of the entire population is younger than 70, which means that 94% of the world was never at more risk than the flu. And in fact, likely less than half of that risk, if anything. But that doesn't matter, apparently, because we don't trust the science now. Is that how that works? Well, let's also point out the British Medical Journal has made it very clear that the mandates, in particular, for the least needing of these, the 18 and 29s, I guess even younger is less needing, but they, they argued, or they proved with their research, that to prevent one hospitalization over a six-month period, they estimated you needed 31,000 to over 42,000 young people between 18 and 29 to take three mRNA shots, three of them. To stop one hospitalization in just a six-month period. That's it. And that, they anticipate 18.5 serious adverse events. Death, hospitalization, serious disability. That is, that's why they called it a net harm. A net harm. We also know, as Dr. Peter McCall has exposed, that these things are dangerous for a multitude of reasons. They continue to promote the spike protein. They lied about that. They knew that. The spike protein is neurotoxic and it impairs DNA. It, it impairs DNA repair mechanisms. They lied about that. The mRNA vaccines potentially cause increased risks of diseases, cancers. We're literally watching that explode right now and they're baffled by it. It's everywhere, guys. It's unbelievable. And I've shown every one of these more than once. He's right. They were never working. We've been lied to aggressively about everything. Now here is uh, 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 Pierre Corey, Dr. Pierre Corey, telling you same thing. Nobody was benefiting from these. Nobody. We need to start being real about this. Really a strain from my profession, and in some ways even society. It's it's literally a society that's been corrupted by forces, and nobody realizes. We sit in these little bubbles. We read our New York Times, and we think everything's going as, as according to plan. Right. You know, we, we even have uh, my colleague over there who says that we saved a million lives with these vaccines. That is utter and complete nonsense. Nonsense. And even if you don't think so. Ask yourself how they even come to these numbers. I mean, you listen to even them. They'll say they'll, they, 10 million, 1 million, half a million. You know, all sorts of different numbers. The point is it's a complete guess because every metric you might use to do that is complete assumption. How do you know they got saved by it? How do you know what would have happened if they didn't? It's complete assumption and it's inherent on that we know these things are X, Y, and Z. Therefore, and, and, and that's based on things we've been proven aren't even true. 
These vaccines saved no one. Across the world, the most highly vaccinated countries had the worst case fatality rates. Every time you hear data on vaccine injuries, you always have to multiply it by a huge factor. And yet, even without that underreporting factor, it was truly concerning. The history of regulatory behavior of agencies is when you launch a new product or a new intervention and a death is reported, the traditional stance is you assume that it's related until proven otherwise. And I heard out of the mouths of public health leaders saying the opposite. And they know that. I mean, it's, this is like the Ukraine thing. You can look back and prove that's what the logic was. And then on a dime, everybody said it was never like that. How, what else do you call that? Mass psychosis. or what? It's just mind-blowing, right? But same thing with Ukraine. Oh, no, there's Nazis, and it's all dangerous, and it's getting bad. And then on a dime after February, it's like, what do you mean? There's no such thing. You guys are liars. You know, again, this kind of speaks to a large, I'm, by the way, the, uh, Gavin, who I referenced that great video recently, I'm going to try to get him to do some stuff for T-Lab. I really like what he did there. And he really highlights there that this is overlapping with some like CIA level kind of breakdown techniques. One of which is to drive you into the, the one of the phases they call Alice in Wonderland phase, if I remember correctly, which is to push things that are not just different, but like unexplainable, weird, uncomfortable, you know, like all the things we're dealing with right now, or like literally going, you're wrong about something that you're proving in real time. It puts you in a position where you just don't know what to do. It makes people break. They're not related. They're not related. It's all uncredible. I mean, we have baby formula, which kills a couple of babies and the entire product is removed from the market. You have a faulty muffler on a car and they recall 300,000 cars. And here you have all of these deaths being reported and nobody's doing anything. I've never been more terrified in my life. We have an explosion in autism, which is totally coincident and correlates with the explosion in the schedule. And I'll tell you, my colleagues here, they're going to say there's no evidence to show that there's any link with autism and the vaccines. That is nonsense. That is nonsense. Right. And you could argue that it's not proven. I disagree with that. But there's obviously a mountain of evidence that links it. And they've even actually admitted that. One of the most, the closest we've gotten to admission is the argument that there is a link, but it's not necessarily always going to And that came from the government. But, and now it's just gone full blowback in the other direction because we're in this madness about vaccines right now. But it's, it's unbelievable. Here's, here's Ben M. from U.S. Mortality pointing out a new German comparison study between COVID-19 unvaccinated and vaccinated reveals can you guess what it reveals vaccinated got covid 19 18 plus percent more often now remember when we were proving that in 2021 using the uk data over and over and over until they censored it it's just it's it's, what what else do we need to do to get this stuff out no protection against severe disease vaccinated have two times more chronic problems after vaccination Menstruation of vaccinated women stopped four times more often than the unvaccinated, even for vulnerable, no benefit visible. This is a real study. No, you, just another study. The point is that there's enough out there. The, the body of evidence is not just slanted. It is falling over the cliff in the direction that they've been, we've been lied to. Chief Nerd points out a, the new Cedars-Sinai study finds heart attack deaths are up nearly 30% in people 25 to 44. Huh. Well, we just saw the net harm discussion. That was exactly the right age where they said that was going to cause. Well, there you go. <laughs> Peer-reviewed science backing this up even then. But nobody cares in this discussion other than the independent media. But it's everywhere we're seeing this. COVID vaccine injuries points out Japan's health ministry has admitted. This is now, I think, the third or fourth example around the world where they've openly admitted without question that a, this is a 14-year-old girl and their death was undeniably related directly to the injection. 
It's just, it, so if we can begin to show these cases, then it opens this door to the reality that a hell of a lot more of them are connected, which we know. But the average person needs this kind of slow march. 45 hours after vaccination, she was confirmed dead. Autopsy confirmed her lungs, liver, heart, and other organs were inflamed, which is exactly what we're seeing. She developed a fever one day after the third dose. After going to bed, she awoke temporarily and complained of breathing difficulties. The next day, she noticed she'd stopped breathing. An expert committee of the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare determined that the arrhythmia was most likely caused by myocarditis or myopericarditis as a development of the vaccine. Pretty wild. Now, I, I really think this is important. Dr. Ben Tapper makes a good analogy here. He says, if I told you that my child was injured in a car accident, you'd be compassionate and worried. Now, you wouldn't be like, are you sure? Maybe it was something else. If I told you, that was me adding that. He says, if I told you it was because the brakes failed, well, you'd be shocked and appalled. If I told you I found out the manufacturer decided not even to test them, well, you'd be mad and tell me to sue. If I told you I found over 60 studies showing that they knew that they would fail and opted instead to cover it up, your head would spin. If I further told you that the government knew all along about the dangers and that laws were even passed to prevent anyone from suing the manufacturers, that there were hundreds of thousands of killed, injured children, you'd be beyond yourself trying to work out how to help these kids. But, of course, replace the word car with the word vaccine. And everybody will ignore it. And people will push back on it. And suddenly you, you have an entirely different opinion. Well, how, what that really highlights for you is that it really only matters about your political perception of the topic. Why are we so quick to assume and, and take this up? Well, because it's only how we've been hyper-politicized around these things. He writes, think about it because this is the truth. Millions of parents are fighting each day just to be heard. The evidence is beyond question. The vaccines are not properly tested, and hundreds of studies show the, con the connection between vaccines and serious injuries, including seizures, neurological damage, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and death. This is besides the high rate of life-threatening allergies, asthma, cancer, and chronic ailments amongst vaccinated children. Where are all the recalls? Where's the demand for answers? Where's the public outrage? The alternative media is the only place where this information can be found because the truth is being suppressed. So you're going to continue ignoring the warnings and the truth until your child is injured or killed? Educate before you vaccinate. <clears throat> I think that's really valid. And this is exactly why. This is, I think, a really important part that does not get enough attention even now. Aussie 17 has been really highlighting this recently. He said, this is turning out to be a frequent event. Well, unfortunately, he didn't see this when we were screaming about it in 2020 and 2021, or rather specifically 2021, because it was a frequent event then, and it's only gotten worse. Chinese tennis star, 23 years old, collapses right in front of everybody. Second time in a matter of weeks that he has collapsed during a tennis tournament. Guys, there's something wrong. Yeah, another teen dies suddenly football player they have no idea or at least they say we don't know no we're not the family members have not said what's going on like it's so strange to me <clears throat> how obvious it is that there's something wrong now i guess you could argue that they're all on guard against anti-vaxxers which it just falls hollow man that's so what you're you're worried that by acknowledging that like if you come out and say like look there's only one way to look at this if you think that somehow by admitting something will be used by anti-vaxxers, doesn't that imply that the answer is somehow indicative that it's something they think might be the case? Like if you came out and just said, oh, he, you know, had an infection in his leg and he died. Well, 
then you'd probably say that because there's no reason that we might go, oh, right? So it's pretty clear to me that the reason these things don't get posted, in my opinion, is because it's myocarditis or a, a stroke or heart attack. And people are going, well, there's no logical reason. And those people are going, they're afraid to be called anti-vaxxers or maybe they don't believe it. And so they hide the story. That's just, I don't know if that's happening here, but we see this continue to happen. It's a very unnerving thing where we're having people drop dead, collapse, have heart attacks, drop in the middle of a game, more than we've ever seen in history. And every one of them just go, they, they, the, the whole article is the family's sad and everyone speaks up and it was a great person. He did this and everything. And they'll be back tomorrow. And you, you get done. You're like, did they forget to write about what happened? <laughs> Nobody in here even mentioned what happened or what they thought or what the paramedic said. That's glaringly obvious. Another child collapses, football player. KG Hamler, diagnosed with pericarditis. Another NFL player. Now he's in the Broncos, and now he won't be playing. It's just This is ridiculous. This one says, a 31-year study. Now, this is what they were referencing in this study, which we'll show you next. What it says is here up top. 2019, sudden cardiac death in football players. Now, I've covered a bunch. I'll show you the main two that I've pointed out in the past. A lot about this topic. A lot. In fact, I'll show you first. November 6, 2021 was one of the earlier ones. We followed up again on November 8, 2021. Extensive work in each one of these. November 11, 2021, again, the, the, the ongoing cover-up of collapsing athletes. Damar Hamlin, January 3rd. And there was a bunch in between there, too. 2023. January 6th, 2023, which is an important one. The undeniable proof that COVID injections are dangerous and causing collapsing athletes. And here's just like an overview tag so you can look for more. Before we get to the main two I've been showing in the past, the point is, these are ones that I haven't even shown yet. And it's pretty damn undeniably obvious that what we're seeing is unprecedented. And why nobody cares is pretty alarming. But what it says here is there's a 31-year study of sudden death in athletes in a registry where this is all filed. And I'll show you that study right after this. And what it says, among the 2,462 deaths reported in the athletes, 23 were SCT-related. 23. They were all African-Americans, 12 to 22 years old. And we're talking about SCT is the, is the, the main point here, the... Oops. Oh, actually, hold on. That was the wrong, the wrong, uh, here, let's, the point was, I, I, I had highlighted in here and then lost it for some reason. Here's the study. Let's go right to the study. Here's the point. Oh, actually, I have this highlighted. So this is the study they're referencing. A total, and this is and what it says here, and this is the registry is 31, but the point is this is the same information, but it says the registry over 27 year period using systemic identification and tracking strategies. And here's the study so you can see it for yourself. A sudden deaths in young competitive athletes. Analysis of 1,866 deaths in the United States, 1980 to 2006. The one, what, was, what this was showing over here was one part of it, which is the sickle cell. That's the, what they were saying there was the part where, why it might be more indicative in, in African-Americans. I forget what the highlighted part was in there, so I don't want to try to find it, but this is the crux of the point anyway. And here's what it says. A total of 1,866 athletes who died suddenly or survived cardiac arrest. And then at the age, I don't know, it's weird what that writes right there. It's 19 plus six years of age. For me, it's not even about the age in this point. It does matter. But for me, it's a general point. So over 27-year period, 
1,866 athletes were identified throughout the United States, just the U.S., from 1980 to 2006 in 38 different sports. Reports were less common during specifically 1980, 1993. I find that very important because you know what changed dramatically after 1986? Massive surge in injections. Well, really, the, the law changed in 86, and the surge went exponentially after that. So you would argue right about the early 90s was when this was becoming very clear, that the increase had rise so much to where we're seeing an increase. Look at what we see. From 1994 forward, between that 2006, well, they saw a 6% per year increase in collapsing athletes. What do you know? Almost a weird correlation there. But the main point for me, the highest number of events in a single year, 76. 76 athletes with an average of 66 per year. So we have a 27-year average of, 20, of 66 deaths per year. Do you realize how many we've seen over just 2021 or even worse now? I mean, it's, it's staggeringly more, it's unbelievable. What down, what down here, what it says down here is in this national registry, the absolute number of cardiovascular sudden deaths in young U.S. athletes was somewhat higher than previous estimates, but relatively low nonetheless, with a rate of less than 100 per year. Here's another one, incident and causes of sudden death in U.S. college athletes. A different study. This one's from 2014. Here's what I highlighted. We assessed databases, including autopsy reports, from both the U.S. National Registry of Sudden Death in Athletes, the one we just looked at, and the National Collegiate Athletic Association. This one's even more. Over a 10-year study period, they saw 182 sudden deaths. 182. In 10 years. And then it says the 4,052,369 athlete participations in 30 sports over 10 years, incurred mortality risks as follows. And it listed a couple of other things, suicide and so on. But documented cardiovascular disease, 1.2 in 100,000 athlete participation years, or four deaths a year. Down here, in college student athletes, the risk of sudden death due to cardiovascular disease is relatively low. Well, this brings us back to a, to a site that has been roundly dismissed as conspiracy theory, but I still think it's important to reference. Now, what's really important, sort of how all those people that were screaming that RFK said an anti-Semitic thing when they didn't even watch the video, they just went off what the New York Post said or whoever else was reporting incorrectly what he said. People have been arguing this site, this good sciencing website. Actually, let's do this. I have to scroll back down. Which I've been pointing out since the very beginning. Oh, dang it. They report it as fake news site that conflates everything with everything. And they just say, oh, they collapsed. Therefore, it's the injection. Well, it's, it takes 10 seconds to look at this and very quickly realize it's the diametric opposite. It's very, look, I was the first to say a long time ago, and it was I, for a good reason, I think. And he was very clear about it. They, they really broadened out the scope. And they, the point is, in the beginning, it was very specific. And then they broadened out to other things. And they were very clear about that. No way are they saying every one of these numbers are because of the injection. They're actually very clear about the opposite. What they're saying is, in general, since the beginning of this, since they started doing this, I think 2020, or actually 2021, 1,919 athletes have cardiac arrests. 1,340 of them dead. 
and all of them are sense injection. But they're very clear right in the beginning that they're not saying they can prove. What they, are, they do, though, is go through and show you the ones that they prove had the injection and then immediately died. Then they show the ones after that that, may, that died where they're suspecting an injection and then ones in there that didn't have it. And yet the people out there that want to aggressively misrepresent this site act like they're doing exactly the opposite of what they're doing. And think about how lazy and desperate that is. But the point I want to make is that you can go and look at this from July 21st, just up to July 2021. And go through and count the ones that, are again, it's easy to prove. There's links to every one of them that you can prove that they got an injection. They had a heart attack or some other variation of something similar, and then died. Really, it's just about the dead part, which is terrible to say, but it's the truth. It's about athletes dying. Not just because of the heart, but just collapsing, because that's what we're really talking about here. Just random sudden deaths of athletes, right? Well, what did we just point out? In every one of these, we're talking about dramatically less numbers than we're already seeing. In this case, what was the amount? 66 deaths a year. That's the... 27-year average is the best that we can see on a broad average. 66 deaths a year. Well, I've just proved, just looking at this, that you can go just to July 2021, and you have, I think, over 70. You do the rest of the year. You're you're more than any studies ever found. We're way past that. And again, this is just what he can find. Do you realize how many children, how many other aspects we've seen this... um, commentators passing out and dying on screen, actresses, singers, politicians, right? So that's also, but the main point is just using something we can prove. And we can quite literally prove in every way that they use otherwise. You know, the same way they pretend that, well, it's not more than what we'd average see in the population. Well, they lied about that in the beginning. Remember, they said, no, no, no. There's a small chance of myocarditis, but it's not more than we see average. Yeah, it was, and it is. But why does that logic matter there, but not here? Why can we prove to you that the amount of athletes collapsing for any reason is gigantically more than we've ever seen before over 27-year average? Well, because they don't care, guys. Because it's obvious this highlights something they don't want to kick into. Think about how a lot, that's why, like Pierre Corey said, this is terrifying. This is not one person. This is the structure. This is a lot of people turning their heads or knowingly hiding this. So check it out for yourself. And if you look, if, again, if you go all the, if you go look through all of this, you find a whole lot of, of very clear points that go to the bottom. You see all these updates where they add things, where they go back and they go, oh, looks like this was different or this was added. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, this site is going out of its way to be as objective and informing you as best they can and leaving you to decide. It's just incredible. Now you can go through and look at all these again if you want. Here are the studies that I mainly highlight in the other, the earlier coverage. This is a study from 2018, another 10-year review of sporting activities. And it's a similar point. Slightly different study, but very similar findings. That the number we're seeing now is way more than we should be seeing. Here's the other one I used to cover, the FIFA study. This was, I think, a six-year study. Or no, this was uh, four years. The point, same thing. The number is ridiculous compared to what we're seeing now. And yet, nobody wants to talk about it. In fact, it's being called a conspiracy theory right this moment. Every time we share this. Now, one thing I keep doing, by the way, which I really think is hilarious, and I, I've been doing this with a few different things, is finding examples that are, that there are a lot of people that will happily assume what you mean. I did this, I think, with the JFK topic and something else before, where I just come out and say something very benign and typically mean exactly what I say. 
and allow all of the people on both sides, by the way, to jump in and assume what you mean. And you get attacked by both the left and the right. And I think it's really important to continue to see how quickly people will assume what you mean without knowing for sure. And show that that is what the two-party paradigm does to people's logic. I think that's really important. And, in, and what happens? Well, the truth gets lost in the middle of all that every single time. Things like this get dismissed because it's already been buried in a partisan talking point. And this is a really concerning thing that's happening here. Thomas Massey points this out. Should your tax dollars support transgenic edible plant vaccines? I don't think so. I don't think anybody does. He says, that's why I've introduced legislation to prohibit government-funded research for this insanity. Which I, don't, I was actually really frustrated by the fact that I, I, there's nothing that identifies where or how. I, I actually looked through everything he's introduced. I didn't see this, so I don't know if that's even not true. I'm not sure, but there's no link to anything, and it doesn't even show the HR number. I was kind of frustrated by that because I really wanted to show you the document. But nonetheless, let's just use that point to segue into what is actually happening, though. The, the reality that this is a real direction. That's why I played the clip in the beginning. Your body and the drug factories, right? Well, they're literally about to turn anything they can into an ability to either surreptitiously or on the surface give you something you don't want. <laughs> or rather, I would say that we shouldn't want. But here's an example from 2020. GMO tomatoes as edible COVID vaccines. Mexican scientists work to make it a reality, right? So as the, and what's funny is you look at the comments. There are even people in the comments right now that are calling him a conspiracy theorist. Despite we have, as we have real world evidence of them actively doing exactly that, it's, that's the, that's what I keep pointing out. It's just broken everything. People just can't think past their narratives in a lot of two party illusion ways. But here's a study from 2020: edible vaccines, promises and challenges. I mean, it's it's a real thing. Here's actually this. I think I saw this from uh, was it Key and Bexty? I forget who, sh- who shared this, but this is from May 18th, 2021. I think actually, I think we've even shown this. Federal government invests $200 million to build an mRNA vaccine plant in Ontario. I mean, this, is, this is all coming your way, guys. They are leaning aggressively into the mRNA platform. Right? This is just about vaccines, but this, the direction is overwhelmingly obvious. As we keep showing you that it's already failed. Fauci wrote an article about how this entire platform direction didn't even address respiratory issues in, regard, in respiratory viruses in general which is all that we're talking about here. And yet they're still using the exact same platform going forward. I mean, I don't even know how you logically make sense of that. Maybe same thing, Alice in Wonderland scenario, right? They're trying to make people feel desperate, confused, uncomfortable to the point to where you just don't care anymore. Well, here's something I wrote back in 2015. Cannabis may already be genetically modified. The one point I want to read you from this, and by the way, this Food Inc. clip was about the the. The, I mean, this topic is exactly, I mean, it's relevant to today. The idea of how they use the seeds and the wind would blow it into a farms next to them. And then they would say, well, now we own your farm. We have the patent to those seeds and they're growing in your property. And they would literally take the farm from them. Think about how, how related that is to today. Shutting down farms. I mean, pretty interesting, isn't it? Well, here's the point I want to read. Prairie Plant Systems, Inc. I've made this reference many times. I don't even know if it's a company anymore. But in 2015... They won the contract to mass produce medical marijuana in Canada. And they had they have and has already been uh, has already begun production in 2015. And I said, as I said, then this is a company whose whose primary objective stated openly is the genetic modification of plants to fulfill specific needs. Most currently at the time, plant based pharmaceuticals. Think about that. 
I, at this time, I was terrified about that. I mean, how much you want to bet Canada, of all places, has already put out cannabis like this? Just a possibility. It's not hard to see, I said at the time, that the dangers of adding pharmaceutical traits to a plant that could potentially spread that trait without control, which is possibly what could happen, right? No one knows what the long-term effects of the cross-pollinating genes that are being played with will be or how far they will spread. The possible negative effects of rampant single-generation genes, which is the Terminator seed, which is a real thing, and undesired pharmaceutical additions to plant life dramatic, uh, dramatically outweigh the possible good. This could create plans that cannot be repro- plants that cannot be reproduced while simultaneously being contaminated with undesired pharmaceutical effects. Altering the genes of the cannabis plant could hinder the desperate needs of future generations to provide sustenance and fuel. Hemp, obviously. Regrettably, this could have already taken place. According to the Huffington Post, Dr. Cassini from Rome has already begun her investigation. She wrote that the, Dr. Cassini has investigated the prospect of genetic modification, and in one sample, she tested that she found a trace of a substance often associated with genetically modified crops, strengthening concerns that some strains of cannabis had already been genetically modified terrifying in her study entitled investigations into the hypothesis of transgenic cannabis just published in the journal of forensic sciences in 2015 dr cassini raises the possibility that the substance is a contaminant perhaps from a covered crop used to conceal the illegal cultivation i mean guys if this was happening in 2015 with cannabis i mean you can god only knows what's already been done and how you're already being sold to you at walmart She believes that the contaminant in the cannabis plant, if not added through genetic modification, which it might have been, was simply cross-pollinated by being in the same vicinity as a surrounding crop that has already been contaminated. That, guys, is like the glyphosate discussion. That ship has sailed. If If that happened, it's far too late now. That's why we need to get ahead of these things. Either way, the process has already begun. Dr. Cassini also points out that genetic modification of plants used to produce psychoactive drugs has already definitely happened. In 2015, research recently published in the academic journal, Plant Biotechnology Journal, demonstrated it was possible to genetically modify the morphine poppy to boost production of morphine-like substances from the plant by 15-30% dry weight. The point was, it goes much beyond that. It goes into the discussions, and you should read more about the idea of possibly adding like a antidepressant factor to a plant. So you have a medicinal plant where you could eat it and instead of taking a pill, you eat antidepressants. Well, what happens when that spreads? What happens if you're inadvertently eating antidepressants and that contradicts something else you're taking? Nobody thinks about this. You're, the lack of informed consent is always present. It scares me. But this was long since been going on. Well, on a quick side note, <clears throat> another exact point of this in regard to transgenic efforts, in regard to genetically modified mosquitoes or anything else they've worked on, this is not a new story, as I said before, but it's recirculating. He says, isn't it a conspiracy? Hold on to your tinfoil hats because the unthinkable has happened almost a year ago. <laughs> yeah, in September of last year. Well, it's funny to me is that this, if it, uh, hey, as always, demonstrating my value, guys, if you watch this channel, You knew about this in September of 2022. You know why? Because we covered it then. Flying vaccinators. March of 2021, in fact. That was before the study came out. But here's the study. Oh, actually, no, this was the one in March 2010. Researchers turned mosquitoes into flying vaccinators. 2010. It's not a new thing, guys. But here we cover the new thing. Flying vaccinators, a reality. 
You know why? Because in September of 2022, this is the study they're all pointing at right now. But a lot of these platforms are going, breaking news! They just did this! And I don't know why. I do know why, because it gets more attention, gets more clicks. Hey, and you know what? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's getting more people to talk about it. I'm not, I'm not begrudging that. But what, I, I want, what I'm skeptical about is why this keeps happening. Right? Why we keep seeing this pop up in an in a interesting way as it's new. And even then, knowing that it's not even new in this sense, right? We know that it's been going on since 2010 or long before that. I find that very interesting. I just think we need to be on guard because I feel like we're being cowed along in a lot of really concerning ways that we can't even understand. And realize we just talked about the idea of Texas and Florida and the malaria. And all of a sudden, we got weird cases popping up we've never seen before after they used genetic modified mosquitoes in these areas. I mean, we, there's another example I just saw I'm not going to get into today of another random example of a new thing we haven't seen in forever. And just at the very least, we should honestly ask whether these things might do that. And the fact that we're not even allowed to ask that question or that if you ask, you're regarded as a ridiculous person shows you how broken everything is because you know it's possible. We're, we're working with genetic modification and they'll admit to themselves that they don't know everybody. Of course, it doesn't matter because you're crazy. Well, the, the other side of this is, as we keep telling you, they are absolutely and have been longer than we're willing to admit, been using mRNA injections in the food supply. As, as I think the Jones Health Defense exposed in regard to pork from 2018 forward. It's not a secret, but it doesn't mean that it necessarily translates. I'm worried that it does. I, and I, I think we shouldn't dismiss that, but I just don't want to fear monger because I know there's been arguments from people like McCullough that Dr. Peter uh, McCullough, that he's not, you know, even really think about it, the idea that it would be in the animal, the body, the process of the body, the breaking down of the animal, the fabrication of the meat, the, the freezing or storing, the packaging, the shipping, the, you know, then the cooking and the eating and the digesting. And it's kind of like, well, that's, you know, well, but, but here's what I said last time. If we're talking about mod RNA, which we are, and one methyl pseudouridine modified RNA, which is what they're using in the COVID injection, not mRNA, which again is one of these stories that seems to be breaking news, except we've been telling you this for since, I think 2020 actually, right? Scott did a good breakdown on this from my recent post on this, May in 2023. What, but, you know, breaking news, but the point is, if it's mod, that, that, I'm very concerned about. I should actually reach out to McCall about that, maybe have him back on to talk about it, because that's a different point, and it does last longer. But either way, the point is, we should be concerned about this. And nobody wants us to ask these questions, which makes it even more concerning. Why all of a sudden do they need mRNA injections? That's what, that's what Sasha Latipova asks. Why, right? Why does the cattle suddenly need them? They've been around for a minute. No, as she said, they tested them on eight mice, and now they're putting them in cows? No, well, something's wrong. Have you seen the, the speed with which they just said, oh, and now we're going to put it in, into the food supply? Or, you know, recently the, the, the bivalent boosters, for example, were approved based on eight mice. Right, right. I mean, the, the, the insanity of what I just said, you don't need to any other conspiracy theories to come through to just understand this. You know, if, if I told you five years ago that there's going to be an injected product forced on every man, woman, and child in the United States, which was approved based on eight mice data. Do you think that I'm nuts? That, well, yeah, and, and I would think that I'm nuts at that time. But this is the reality. This is what happened. And then they just, by diktat, they decided to, oh, now we're going to inject all cattle with this stuff. There was no and, studies. Nothing. And, and we're being lied to about that. 
repeatedly we have examples of this from the Missouri Cattlemen's Association that openly admitted that they're already doing that to many other examples. And yet we still get pushback from plenty of people where they're like, no, that's not happening. And I mean, like from government people that know better. So why are they hiding it from us? It was tested. You know, they tested it on mice, but they're going to put it in cows. I don't actually know the state of deployment, but maybe you can explain that. Well, to so me. they're yeah. they're basically going uh, putting a bunch of money uh, in front of you know cattlemen associations, agricultural uh, associations, and they're saying, well, no, now we're going to convert all the um, either either convert the previous cattle vaccines or just you know new new mRNA shots right. for cattle. For what reason? What, right. what what is the what is the emergency with cattle? Exactly. Is there a pandemic of cows of some sort that we? She's making an excellent point. It's because this was always the plan. You know that this was always the plan, and it's just being fulfilled. We haven't heard of, you know, why all of a sudden they need to be injected with mRNA. And so somebody needs to answer that. I don't know the answer to this. So, but this <laughs> is this has begun, or it's, yes, it's they're. they're yeah. There, there, um, there have been news reports that uh, uh, at least some of the, you know, so there, there were going to be some uh, associations that are going to be uh, forcing, you know, cattlemen associations are going to be forcing this into the, into the participants. Under their membership. Memberships, yeah. 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 And that this is going to be regulated, that the, the cattle vaccines are supposed to be now mRNA for some reason. Uh, and also they're, um, they're going to convert um, traditional vaccines for humans, traditional childhood vaccines and vaccines for other like flu and um, RSV. RSV and um, some other indications also convert them into mRNA. And that's published. In- yeah, this is all I mean, you guys all heard this from me. And, you know, what's 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 really alarming is just how inherently deceptive all of it is when we can prove it as every other topic and this is why it's important actually to think about somebody like uh i forget his name off the top of my head we spoke with him on on slow on uh on slow news day or or am wake up i forget his name but he was in texas i believe and he was talking about his own kind of local cattle and that's what we need to do more of right if you know his name drop it in the chat because you know we need people like that people who are going to make sure they're not giving them these things and make sure that what they're doing is local and and you know including fabrication everything That's what we need, guys. Now, here is an example of this, in fact, potentially already having side effects. But I'm not going to say I know that for sure. But what this is saying is that that there was an example of these Australian meat facilities giving these injections and then having some reaction afterward. It's interesting. As it says, May 2nd, MLA funds a lumpy skin mRNA cattle vax trial. 58 days later, we have our first recorded outbreak ever. Now, that's what the, what the, was it Rise Above Melbourne is saying. So, I mean, she, what, what you're seeing for the podcast is just showing you this, where it's a, the, the post is saying that from the government, MLA funds our mRNA technology project to rapidly produce emergency animal disease vaccines. Indonesia suspends live cattle imports from four Australian facilities after lumpy skin. No, I think about how dumb that is. So they literally give them injections for, uh, you know, in regard to mRNA, and it's on lumpy skin disease, and then they get exactly that. I mean, that's exactly what we're always pointing out. Here's what she says. 
canned that a small number of cattle that were shipped from Australia to Indonesia have tested positive, according to the Indonesian government, for the disease lumpy skin. It's important to note that this disease poses no risk to humans, but would have certainly would certainly have significant ramifications for Australia's trade of not just live cattle, but all meat and beef exports. And that's not just to Indonesia, but to every country where we currently now trade our, our beef products. So this is certainly quite a shock to the Australian government. This disease has never been found in Australia and uh, there, are, there are significant concerns for the trade. What happens now then, Kath? Well, the Agriculture Minister, Murray Watt, has um, issued a notice to industry saying that authorities are working around the clock. He first became aware of this issue late on Friday and since that time has had several briefings with industry, with state uh, ministers and chief veterinary officers, uh, as well as Australia's ambassador to Indonesia. And uh, more testing will continue, but he remains adamant Australia is free from this disease. And You get the point. We're working round the clock to figure out what that, well, it's pretty damn, like, have they asked if it was the mRNA shot that was given to stop the thing they just got? Have they asked that? I'm willing to bet they haven't. I'm willing to bet they went out of their way to not even include that conversation. Just absolutely ridiculous. As Christine Anderson points out from the EU, are you getting it yet? As the European Times writes, now, I don't, this seems to be a little bit of an embellishment with the title. But I'll show you the actual source material. 13 nations agree to abolish farming in order to save the planet. I was literally just talking about this in the last show. The, the, the European Union Times wrote this, but here's the actual site directly there that she links to in this. And it's also the link from the, the article. And it's a, it's a real, this from May 17th for this year. Major livestock producing countries commit to mitigate methane in agriculture. So it's just it's right on the surface of the conversation. I was just saying this with with uh, uh, the examples I'll show you next. We we're just talking about John Kerry telling you this, saying, "Well, thirty three percent." Weirdly enough, at the same time when the banks were discussing their thirty three percent, they don't want to apply, don't want to be given, right? where the banks are voting to not have to write down that they have. What, what's the right way to frame it? The banks are voting that their carbon uh, footprint shouldn't have to matter because X, Y, and Z, and that just to happen to be about thirty three percent. And then they're over here going, but the John Kerry told us on the record that the oil and gas companies did a study and they found out that the agriculture is the worst problem, 33%. Isn't that interesting? What a weird overlap that is. It's almost as if they went, don't put it on us, give it to agriculture. And the studies, we did prove it. <laughs> Just pathetically stupid. But overall, the point is they're all openly telling you, look, we're going to pull back on food. Now, I mean, this isn't just livestock. That's what this is focusing on. But they're talking about agriculture in general. And the, what they're trying to sell you on is, is a transition to something different, but they're not doing that. What they're doing is this. Dutch scheme to forcibly shut down thousands of farms. Well, are you already have you already built the infrastructure? Have you already built some kind of green process that's going to sub- supplement the food you're removing? No. And even if they did, it's seemingly clearly not working right now. So what are we pretending is happening here? You're not transitioning. You're just destroying because that will lower the artificial arbitrary number that you present at the next summit and go, yay, we dropped this by 30. You also murdered about 20 million people. That's what it feels like it's going to do. Here's what it says. Food systems are responsible for 60% of that. Well, that increased quite a bit. Now, suddenly your food systems are producing 60%. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's you and what you're doing or the local farms? 
No, what they're really talking about there is the corporations, the industry pumping out garbage as they mass produce garbage. That's what they're talking about. But of course, they conflate that with the organic farms because we're being deceived. We congratulate countries willing to take the lead in food systems methane mitigation and confirm our commitment to support this type of initiative with programs that explore promising methane mitigation technologies and the underpinning research of methane mitigation mechanisms. They're talking about putting stuff on cows and giving them treatments and and injections and all this stuff is not safe for you. I've already gone over this, but it says mitigating methane is the fastest way to reduce warming in the short term. (laughs) That's John Kerry speaking, by the way. Now, of course, same point. What do you mean mitigating methane is the fastest? What they're talking about is shutting down agriculture is the cheapest, quick way we can get a number result we like to point out. In the short term, but you know what immediately happened in the short term? A lot of people can't feed their families, but nobody cares about that as long as John Kerry can say, we did the number we said. I mean, even if you believe this is the right thing, you must acknowledge this is a really dangerous, rash, and there's direction with no real next step other than saying we're doing this eventually, and we've already shown the things they're arguing aren't even working. Well, here, we showed you this the other day. Here's 2019. They're not asking for you to transition. They're going, let's make it illegal. Let's ban meat in general. As we just showed you, they're shutting down farms without any kind of transition. And even Washington Post argued that Biden's own plan may not actually remove cheeseburgers, but guess what? Beef is on the chopping block. Yeah, they're telling you what they're going to do, guys. We just did this in the last show. The <coughs> Excuse me. We talked about the... Uh, well, the COVID discussion, Robert Cadleck, which I was actually just talking with Whitney about this. And we seems we're in the same point with this, I think, that it feels very suspicious. And ultimately, that Whitney pointed out that Fauci is basically a Cadleck toady or whatever you want to call it, not to use uh, Miss Toady's word. <laughs> but the point is that ultimately, you can clearly see that this might. I actually asked, what do you think is going to get thrown to the bus? But ultimately, this, I just do not feel this honest. And her main point was it feels like he's trying to couch this on vaccine research instead of gain of function. So you could argue that it was a mistake, kind of like I was saying in the show, but it was still for the right reasons and we need to do it better. Give us more funding and more. Re- yes, like always. It's what I think, too. But we talked about the tick discussion and vaccines to stop eating meat and all the, all these things that they've been they've talked about. Right. <clears throat> and in fact. Just in case you forgot, this this is an important clip where he tells you this is one thing they could do. Two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption on meat, then they would uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people they may be willing to, but they sort of they have a weakness of will. They say, "Wow, this this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it." I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about. So there, we have these intolerance to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. Um, uh, and there's, some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu- human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, ad- possibly address really big world problems through human engineering. So what they're talking about is creating a vaccine 
that can create some sort of react, whether it's antibodies towards something or a, an enzyme that stops you from being able to process the meat, right? This is there. That's what they've been floating more than once. Now I'm not saying that's happening might be, but let's realize that the tick timing of this, what's not new, even though it's being framed as a new thing has been going on for years. 2014, they talked about this, right? And we, at the same time, we've got this rise in lab grown meat and all the different things that are also very dangerous. As I've already shown you not even remotely as healthy. It's, a lot of anal- anal- analogs there, but the point is that this is an interesting timed concept for something that is at least being floated as they're already making things like Nixvac or Nickvax, which is ultimately a vaccine to stop you from wanting to smoke cigarettes because it makes antibodies in regard to nicotine. So this is not a new thing, and I just want us to be aware of where this stuff is starting to lean, especially as we have that kind of overlap. But I want to end with a discussion about where this all seems to be going. And I actually, I'm just going to skip this video, but you guys can watch it. It's a seven-minute video from Sky News, where they, he goes over exactly what you think, where he says the WEF has been very upfront about the Great Reset Agenda. And he goes over exactly what is supposed to be fake news. And it, it's just one of these corporate outlets that seems to have the courage to at least go, yep, it's exactly what they're saying on the record that we're calling fake. How does that make sense? Well, it makes sense because we're in a massive agenda right now. It's very obvious. And here is the one of the most important overlaps that's immediately happening. Like the technocratic discussion is much bigger, but the immediate step of the WHO and even the UN in regard to how this goes forward with pandemic preparedness is the one of the most important next steps that we need to stop. Here's what Meryl Nass has to say about it. Undergoing a soft coup. And the idea is to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws and other laws under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. The WHO is developing through all its nations, but with the WHO directorate in the United States in charge, a pandemic treaty and amendments to the existing international health regulations that will remove the human rights protections currently Um, embedded in the IHRs, will enforce surveillance, censorship, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to censor and only push a single narrative. Also, we will be subject, if, if they can make this work, to vaccines developed in 100 days, which the organization CEPI is planning to do. And one of the People who founded CEPI was Jeremy Farrar, who is now the chief scientist at the WHO to bring this forward. Um, other things that uh, the amendments do is to bind the state so they are no longer recommendations, but enforceable edicts. Uh, provide a liability shield, get rid of intellectual property rights, move supplies from one country to another, um, enforce digital passports, And the director general of WHO can demand that a pandemic or a potential pandemic exists. He can just declare it with no standards, and then countries around the world will have to obey. Uh, Also, the WHO will tell you what drugs you can and can't use in your nation once a pandemic is declared. Obviously, the budget will increase. One Health is another part of this. One Health is a concept 
that was created to enable the WHO with these documents to take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by saying that climate change, animals, plants, water systems, ecosystems are all central to health. Also embedded in this concept is a peculiar notion that humans are no longer of greater value than animals. Hmm. Interesting. I think what she's discussing is very important, right? She's very clearly highlighting that this is a taking over our sovereignty, right? This is something that we've been talking about for a long time. The idea of, I mean, we've already talked about all of this, the idea that they can literally argue that, uh, you know, U.S. could wake up and say Iran's got a pandemic. And then they have to respond to that. And Iran has to ask, suddenly you have to do what they, like, it's such an obvious game that could be played against the, their adversaries. And on top of that, as you just the marshalling resources, and I mean, this becomes unaccountable more than we've even, un, more than we could even fathom compared to what we're dealing with today. Even the illusion that we could somehow vote somebody new in it doesn't even remotely apply, even though it doesn't apply now. It's 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 really hard to wrap our minds around. And the problem is that this is real, and it's real time. It's happening right now. We just lived through what they're going to do again. I mean, that's what they're quite. They're telling you that, quite frankly, on the surface, lockdowns, masks, social distancing. It's right there in the documents. I, I just don't know how anybody can get on board with that. Well, to finish, I want to point something out that I think is really important. And this overlaps with a lot of this stuff. And I just think it's really interesting that this is such an un... People are so afraid to talk about this. I've talked about it many times, but I have also asked myself whether I think this is, in fact, the primary objective. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it isn't to a lot of people. But either way, I think it's obvious that there's a eugenics overlap to a lot of the stuff we're talking about. Now, Dr. Minotti, or Robin Minotti points out that the billionaire club, in, in a bid to curb population, an article in 2009 was written. It just, it's, it's right here's the, the headline. I have the article actually right here. What's interesting to me is how often, like with Ukraine, for example, they can write about this stuff before. And then it's, it's like they don't think we can look back at previous work from their own coverage, right? If you brought this up exactly like it's written in all these articles, the Times, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, they'd say you're crazy today, right? But here's this is well, let's look what Robin said first. He said, This is from the article, I believe. Quote America's richest people meet to discuss ways of tackling a disastrous environmental, social, and industrial threat. Some of America's leading billionaires have met secretly to consider how their wealth could be used to slow the growth of the world's population. That's directly reported by the corporate media, all of them Wall Street Journal, Guardian. And yet it's a conspiracy theory today. Isn't that interesting? The philanthropists who attended a summit convened on an initiative of Bill Gates. The Microsoft co-founder discussed joining forces to overcome political and religious obstacles to change. Described as the good club. We've talked about them by one insider. And that included David Rockefeller, of course. Junior, the patriarch of America's wealthiest dynasty. Warren Buffett, of course. George Soros. Bloomberg. Turner. Oprah Winfrey. They gathered at the home of Sir Paul Nurse, a British Nobel Prize biochemist and president of the private Rockefeller University. The point, they discussed how they could reduce the population. Billionaire club in a bid to curb overpopulation. Well, of course, you could stand back. Whoa, 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 Ryan. He's not talking about killing people. Well, maybe not. But it's pretty implicit that they're talking about doing what they can to 
reduce the population. I mean, this isn't even hard to understand. It's right there. Okay. So if the only way to curb overpopulation is to reduce how much it grows. So that doesn't necessarily mean killing people, but it means taking action now to reduce how many eventually end up happening through, you know, being born. And that means what? Birth control and other actions, you know, like accidentally sterilizing people with vaccinations in India and Africa, which has happened more than once. But, you know, oops, maybe. Or maybe it's very clear that the good club and the eugenics society, now the Galton Society, would directly involve the COVID-19 injection, totally are just coincidental, right? Here's the Wall Street Journal. Billionaires try to shrink world population. <laughs> Fake news today. Here's the Guardian. They're called the good club, and they want to save the world. Well, let's finish with something that you know is coming, and it's such an interesting point. Rob Schneider just did a little stand-up on this, and he really does make, he makes the point, like, it's just so stupid how... It's exactly what he says. And yet you point at it and people are like, no, no, he didn't mean that. It's like, (laughs) come on. He literally says this. He shows you an equation about how to get there. And people go, no, no, he didn't mean that. It's just pretty dumb, isn't it? Well, let's take a look at what he says here for the millionth time. And again, we're not suggesting that it proves that they want to take action to take people's lives. But what it does prove to you is that they do want to reduce the population. And we're not going to pretend like there might not be some of them that would do something nefarious to achieve that, especially if they're convinced the world's going to end right now if we don't take dramatic action, which is what they're all saying. Or talking about doing moral compulsory things that you may not know about because it's better for everybody. Like all of these things are matter in this conversation. Or just the simple fact that they might not, they maybe just do things that they might decide are for the greater good. Like putting things that might, reduce the population or leaning into a transgender movement that reduces the population or reduces infertility or giving shots that also reduce infertility or reduce fertility, which they do, or flooding the world with endocrine disrupting chemicals that absolutely affect what, come on, every single one of these things very well could be exactly that. Just logically speaking. Do I know that for sure? No. But for those that haven't heard it, let's listen to what he says. Oh, this equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a well, thing go on the left, CO2, you want to get to zero one ton. It's an average of about five tons. Now he's talking about carbon, di- carbon in the air. Everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. It's a zero. I, see, this is the thing that Kerry said too. How are you, are, zero means the planet dies. Zero means plants can't survive. So I don't even understand how they make this argument, but you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. It's been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have well, even... Well, I guess specifically we're saying emissions. So not zero carbon on the planet, but zero emissions. Which, by the way, is quite frankly impossible because you are also you're, that, you're breathing out carbon. So uh, let's be real about this. What, they're, what they mean by zero carbon emissions is no human life. Now, I'm not saying they mean that, but that's what that implies flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. Now, by the way, this is the, this is the posted TED Talk video. Just for those that are watching, this is not a clip. This is directly from the TED Talk posted 
Bill Gates video. So it's unedited and exactly what happened. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Uh, that's back from high school algebra. But let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. Okay. How are you not going to take it as vaccines lowering population? Like, I mean, let's just be very real and objective about this. You just said that if we do a good job on vaccines and contraception, we can lower that by 10 or 15%. How exactly are vaccines lowering populations? Isn't it the argument that it's keeping people alive? which would very clearly imply that we're increasing the possibility for more population. Well, at the very least, you can argue contraception is obvious. So we give more people birth control, they'll have less. Well, they'll argue they just mean accidental births. Okay, fine. Well, let's pretend that's the case. Please explain for me what I'm missing. You give them vaccines. We do a good job with vaccines. We can get this down by 10 to 15%. Like just taking out the contraception part of it. Like you can't, even including contraception, you can't, there's no way that that statement makes sense, including vaccine. Am I missing something? Because if you're doing a good job on vaccines and contraception and lowering the population, I mean, wouldn't the argument at least be offset because vaccines are saving lives, which means they can then go on to have children? I mean, really, guys, I mean, that's why Rob Schneider, it's just hilarious because it's like, it's a special kind of willful, it's a special kind of stupid to watch what he says and then go, well, there must be something I'm missing. Well, maybe, or maybe you just acknowledge that you heard what he said, and that might also be the case. It's like I joked about before that people during Trump's administration, it was like, you'd point at something, it would be like, wow, can you believe he just did that? And they'd be like, well, there must be a reason. I mean, to take that, that is a really stupid answer. Of, well, there must be a reason. Yeah, probably. And it's not what you were thinking. But to assume there's a reason that makes it mean what makes him be the hero you want, that's just childish savior complex. So he just said exactly what it Let's play it one more time and then we'll finish the show. Now, I'll let it play a little past, obviously, too. CO2 that you want to get to zero. And that the service. So let's look at reproductive health services. Now, if we do a really great job... Oh, and to be clear, he said reproductive health services. Well, that's what we're talking about. ...on Abortion new well. vaccines, health care, reproductive health services. We could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, pl- I'll play it through. But what about health care? Right? Why is health care lowering the population? I, I just can't wrap my mind around how anybody can hear that and argue he means something else. I mean, I want to be wrong because that's pretty crazy. I'm usually the one that would be like, well, I think, I mean, the fact that they would just say it publicly seems pretty unlikely, but it's right there. I don't understand how health care and vaccines can lower populations other than the obvious. All right, a little play. Persons using CO2, persons 6.8 billion, and yeah, see right. how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Uh, that's... <laughs> back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, 
reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. The second factor is the services we use. This encompasses... Well, there's really no more to that, guys. It's pretty damn simple. Now, he goes on to point out the other point services. And, you know, the point is, though, the population part of this seems to be pretty clear. We do a good job on vaccines, health care, and medical services. We can lower the population. You tell me what I'm missing. I want to be missing something because that's pretty terrifying. And I've shown this before. It's not the first time. A lot of people have talked about it, but it always gets dismissed. You can see this is directly from the TED Talk, Innovating to Zero, Bill Gates. 4.4 million views. Finally, here's a video from Dennis Meadows from the Club of Rome telling you verbatim that he wants to lower the population and they might have to do it in a, in a way that's uncomfortable. We got to do it in a civil way because, you know, either we'll have 1 billion people with freedom or 9 billion slaves. So let's do it now. That, they, these are real people and Bill Gates is equal in part of these same clubs. In one way or another, we are so far, globally, we are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet that I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think we can prove that's not true. I mean, people, I think, have proved the, the limits to growth discussion of that book itself. I, you know, I think Matt Ayer has been talked about. The point is, it's I don't believe it's true. I think we've proven that's not true. And that I think this is about creating false scarcity. You know, in one way or another, it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way, I, I, and I mean civil in a in a special way, I, peaceful. Yeah, you know, peaceful murder of people, peace, peaceful depopulation. Peace doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy, <laughs> but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through through force. Uh, how, how but else rather with the population? in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. Well, there's, there's actually your connection right there, right? So we're not going to do it overtly and just be violent. We're going to surreptitiously, do, you know, I mean, that's what you read from it. I don't know if that's what he means. But you understand the main point is we need to remove one-ninth of the population, eight-ninths of the population. That's what he's saying. Otherwise, we're all going to be in, in dire trouble. So, I, you know, but, well, we got to do it a civil way. Do what? Remove the population. It's very clear what he's saying. Uh, that we can, I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. Like these things are doled out by the government. I mean, these people are problematic. It's a nice word for it. But the, I, look, my opinion would be either he does. This is being put out by this person because he's a, part of the Club of Rome. I think there's an agenda here. I think you can easily prove that one billion people is not the limit of the planet. It's ridiculous. And on top of that, that you you don't get liberty. Like this is what they're trying to almost make an argument that, you know, well, your liberty is far work, work, not whatever. What is it? However, not 10 billion people. The point is that yeah, that's why you don't have liberty. It's not it's not our fault. No liberty for you because you're too many people now. It's like, it's, they, it's not their choice, guys. They don't get to dictate what you're allowed to do in your life. That's the illusion we live in. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have, 
eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, but and this is an older video. If you had a smart dictatorship and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. Oh, no, I it's hope actually, that this can be slow, relatively slow. And it's actually, seven seven point nine is what what Quick Search said. Billion for the world. And that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know. But I mean, that's. Now, now, to be clear, I am in no way suggesting this guy wants to hurt people or is suggesting that we kill people or any of that. I don't know. I don't know his intentions. But I think we just need to be real about what the implications are about what he just said. Like, he may just be benignly saying, yeah, that's just the reality with no intention to do anything about it. But there are people in positions of power that clearly are both maniacal and sociopathic enough to do so and have the ability and the wherewithal to carry it out. It's obvious. And so, and this is the things that they believe. I think we need to think about stuff like that. It's not conspiracy theory to just be honest with yourself about what is very possible. Now, I want to finish today with a great clip. It's just a great clip. I think Dave Smith just kind of rails on this clip on the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, Bet David podcast. Uh, and, and really, it just kind of does, it's, it's a great, like, six minute rant. It's really, really good. And it just really kind of highlights, you know, the illusion of everything. And how we're always being played by the two-party illusion and how it's everything. So I just want to end with this because I think it's a really powerful clip. So thank you for being here today, guys. I appreciate you always being here and supporting the platform. The work's important. It's never going to stop. We're going to keep working. Stay the course. Because I vividly see what we have accomplished. As much as it seems to get worse and worse, we are saving people and opening minds every single moment that we do this. So thank you for the support. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Olds and stuff. And they don't really, you know, they were like babies when this was happening. They're but babies now. Well, yeah, but they, but they don't like remember it. I'm saying that there's, you almost feel like there's the left just controls the broader culture. But this actually was not the case immediately following 9-11. The culture had a very right-wing mood to it. It was very much about like patriotism and hierarchy and military and go America, which was a natural response to being attacked, you know? And it was very much like, and essentially, the American people, as you mentioned, the highest approval ratings in, since we've been recording, presidential approval ratings, the American people gave George W. Bush a blank check yep. to fight this yep. war on terrorism. Yep. They go, you have whatever war you want, whatever action you want, whatever policy you want. Yeah, if agreed. you want to grope us at the airports, yeah. if you want to torture people, the you, want to open, you want to open Guantanamo Bay, the Patriot Act, the Department of Homeland Security being created, whatever you want. And, and he spent this blank check on two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that led to the deaths of uh, over a million people. And what, what we got for it in turn was our bravest young men blowing their brains out by the tens of thousands at the, at the price tag of trillions of dollars and the region completely destabilized anyway. Just nothing but, I mean, Lockheed no, Martin nothing, and Raytheon got a lot yeah. out of it, you know. There's a whole bunch, if you look in uh, Washington, D.C., there's a whole bunch of millionaires out there uh, in Washington, D.C. Who, yeah. who did very yeah. well yeah. off I of it. I talked about this yeah. the but, other day, the, the, the zip codes with the highest 
uh, what is it, incomes? Every crime, yes. that the zip code with the highest crime in every category. It doesn't matter, a burglary, you're talking about murder, everything, the highest, number one, yeah. is D.C., but the city also, with the most people making over $200,000 a year, yeah. is D.C. And all of them are making That's it because the they're in some, the country, way, some way politically connected. the entire connected. country, including New York, in, yeah. including L.A., Newport Beach, Miami, D.C.'s number one, most people making over $200,000 per year. So, but anyway, just to my point, so then after, and of course, now this, so this is what we get out of George W. Bush's blank check. And then on top of that, his, his, uh, his presidency ends with the worst financial crash in a hundred years. Yeah. So it was just like, so, like, it was like so obvious. So, and, and this is why Barack Obama is elected, because he was the most anti-George W. Bush thing that people could think of, right? And then o Obama comes in and continues all of the Bush policies after running on, I'm going to repeal all of these policies. And then, oh, and, and look, there was a pivot. It was right, it was in 2012. Okay, it was when Obama was running for re-election. And what did Obama come out and say for his re-election campaign? Did he come out and say, hey, look, remember I told you I would close Guantanamo Bay? And I did it. No, he couldn't say that. Did he say I ended the war in Iraq? Nope. No, he couldn't say that. Did he say we're not torturing people anymore? Did he say we're not dropping bombs? No, in fact, by this point in 2012, not only had Obama continued the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, he had also launched a stupid regime change war in Libya. He was starting to fund a civil war in Syria. And he, uh, well, he had the drone bomb campaign in Yemen and Pakistan. So what did he say? He's got this base of liberals who he hasn't done anything that he promised. So what did he say? I'm for gay marriage. I'm the first right. president who's ever been for gay marriage. And they put the White House up with the pride flag colors. And if you go look at this, look, this, was, this was a concerted effort from the top. You can go look. There are these nexus charts where you can map out words in major publications. I'm not talking about mom and pop news outlets. I'm talking about the New York Times, the Washington Post, like the big dogs. Go track how many times the word racism was mentioned. And around 2012, it shoots up. Yep. Social justice shoots up. Transgenderism shoots up. White privilege shoots up. This was forced on the American people. Why are we having these conversations now? No, the people did not wake up one day and decide, we want to have a national conversation about chicks with dicks. That didn't happen. This wasn't an organic movement. It was all of the most powerful people decided this is what we're going to talk about. And why was that? Because th it's the perfect look. When you're failing on policy, you pivot to a culture war. Yep. You pit people yep. against each other, so they're fighting each other. Yep. We had in this country, we had an Occupy Wall Street movement where leftists were standing outside of big banks screaming, we are the 99%. Right-wingers had a populist movement called the Tea Party, where yep. they were outraged about the bailouts of big banks, yep. unsustainable debt, government spending. They don't like that. That's not what the powers that be like. You're getting too close. Look, they like you fighting about issues like abortion. Now, I'm not saying abortion isn't a very important issue. It's a very important issue. But the, us fighting about that issue doesn't scare anyone at the Federal Reserve. It doesn't scare anyone in the CIA. They don't care if you fight about that issue. They love you fighting over transgender bathrooms. Yep. They have no and you can see this every day. They're stoking this culture war because they have to to distract from the fact that they completely failed on everything else. That everything in the 20th century so far for America politically speaking has been a disaster. It's what like have they handed to us? With a submarine. 
Huh? They distract you with the submarine, but the other issues are going like that, well. They love stories like that. Yeah. CNN loves an airplane crashing. They love yeah. something where it'll get clicks and no powerful people will be upset about it. If they actually loved real stories that just got clicks, there's a lot of stories that get clicked. They've been passing them up for years. It's part of the reason why shows like this, shows why jo- like Joe Rogan, are taken off. Because they can run stories. Hey, do you think that like people getting vaccine injured is not a story that would generate a lot of views? For CNN, the vaccine that the government just mandated has hurt all of these people. That's a huge story. Why won't they run it? Because all their commercials are freaking pharmaceutical companies. Yep. They don't want to piss off powerful interests, so they're not in the game of that. So they have to create something for you to be afraid of. You know, right. white supremacist terrorism is everywhere. You know, like we talked about with the tyrants, big pharma. Oh yeah, right. we huge, this, we, we talk about this on podcasts all the time, right, Pat? There's two countries in that the world. Rant that rant was. I, listen, I'm still on that. That rant, was amazing. Man. That was. Make some noise for a day, yeah. man. I was unbelievable <laughs> on what, what was you just said there. Thank but, you. You know.